0: hello and welcome to the nash tackle off the hook podcast just to make you aware this podcast may contain some explicit slash offensive language and if that's not your thing you don't have to listen but i have given you a warning i hope you enjoy the rest of the show you don't know the half of it, but... Anyway, yeah, um, I'm on anyway. i so yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm skating on the thinnest <laughs> ice known to man.
1: Like... He said, and um, they put a poison in the tank that just instantly killed them. He went, and we'd run out of it, so we cut their heads off with shovels. Suddenly, bang! The whole boat exploded. Take your sort of eight-inch-long piranha and imagine that at four, five, maybe six feet. I said, I've revived your dead fish. <laughs> F off, he said! You haven't! That was just humongous. It was couldn't believe what i was looking at i'm just battling this fish out and I'm, i know it's a black man I'm, yeah. I'm saying i'll never be a naughty boy again
0: if you catch fish and you return them to the water then you are my brother
1: derek Stritten, welcome to the nash podcast how are you i'm good thank you Hassan. thanks for inviting me
0: no it's an absolute honor to have you on mate synonymous with the bcsg carp society incredible cart fishing chapters from way back in the, we will say sixties, even though we'll time stamp it, but from a while back. And honestly, mate, it's an honor to have you in. Kev talks really highly about you. We've been trying to get you in for a fair old time. It's lovely to have you here. Have you been well recently? I've been good. Thank you. Yeah. Fishing.
1: Uh, not so much in the last, I don't know, month or so, but apart from that, yeah, I had a couple of weeks in France in in June. Um, enjoyed that. It's a nice holiday. Uh, went with the wife, caught a few fish. Carp or everything? Because you like um, a few other
0: species too, don't you?
1: Yeah. No, we were carp fishing, uh, carp fishing trying to avoid catfish, and I caught this <laughs> bloody monstrous great thing that, uh, well, you know what they're like, don't you?
0: Don't How big did he go? Was he a beggar? I, I didn't weigh
1: it, mate. I, all I remember was leaning across. We broke the land. Well, I always take about three or four landing nets anyway, but we broke the landing net. Um and I remember leaning into the water to to unhook it and putting my elbow on one side of its head and my kind of wrist on the other side. So Aww. I'm thinking that's a big one, you know.
0: Yeah, that's sort of, If it's yeah. if it's the combined length of both of you laying down, then you know it's. That's that right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But they go some the old tadpoles, poles, don't they? Oh Jesus, yeah. I mean, I've, I've in recent years I've taken to um, using a some line that I get from Bulgaria. Right. Um. It's got a very, very kind of, it breaks far, uh, much higher strain than it suggests. And it's like, it's a nice line. Um, John Carver um, oh, told yeah. me about it because John uses it for some of his distance casting when he can't use leaders and things like that on waters, yeah. Mm. And, um, uh, oh God, I think, I uh, can't remember what it's called. No worries. <laughs> anyway, um <clears throat> this This catfish when i when I hooked into it, I, you know you know that you, you know you 've got one don 't you straight away i 'm kind of backwinding, and the clutch is going as well. we 've known no time at all it 's about one hundred and fifty yards on oh. thrashing about on the far side, and i couldn 't move it, and I just couldn 't move it and you, you, you know at that point in time when you bend the rod and it 's creaking and you think any minute, and i didn 't know what to do. I just literally kind of I mean i haven 't got the strength I used to have either, you know sadly, <laughs> but i haven 't. And I, I remember just in it, just thinking, you know, I'm not going to get the hook to straighten or something. So I wound down as far as I could. The bank behind me is on an incline. Yes. So I put the rod over my shoulder, turned turn my back on the fish, and well, I don't run anymore either. But <laughs> my impression of running up the bank and it got the fish moving. And then I cranked it down, ran down, put it on the shoulder. We, that's how I got it in in the end. But goodness. that's
0: like a workout, isn't it? Yeah, it
1: is. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I had one the other week, mate. Hundred pounds from a UK on yeah. carp tackle. And like you said, I had the same point where there's just absolute you can't budget. It's doing whatever it wants, it wants to, to do, do. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. you're at the mercy of it. Yeah, but, yeah. but they're a bit of fun, aren't they? Carp. Why did you have a few few
1: good ones as yeah, well? Yeah, I had yeah several several forties anyway. Yeah, that's, That'll do you? Yeah. It? yeah.
0: When did you, when was the first time you remember carp fishing, Derek? Give me a year.
1: For me, carp fishing, yeah, or, um, for you. P- probably properly 67, 68. Um, yeah. 67,
0: 68. Is there any comparison between carp fishing in 67, 68 to what you see nowadays?
1: No, <laughs> it's just a million, <laughs> no, a trillion miles away. It's completely different. You know, I mean, I mean, I'd, I and this is what I'm saying is not intended to be critical. Or, or, no, you no. Know, no. And, um, you had to find a place where you where there were carp to begin with, if you wanted to fish for them, because nobody told you. Um, you had to virtually make your own tackle, yeah, or at least you know, buy it and put it together yourself. Um yeah, you know, buzzers that were just drove you nuts when you finally got some because they never worked. Um, yeah, and landing nets that weighed about four ton. You <laughs> yeah, know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so every 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 four pound carp by a uh, wildy carp that I netted, you know, in those days felt like it weighed thirty four pounds because of the weight of the net. But there, you, you know, it is. It's completely different now.
0: Yeah. It's incredible to think. Like I try, and you're obviously from a teaching background, so like you look at like a history timeline of like whatever civilization, art, whatever it may be, and you look at the sort of developments over a period of time. And then you look at cart fishing and you think the 1960s ain't that long ago. No. But my boy, have we come a fair old way in that period of time. And, and in the last sort of, I don't know, 30 years, it's probably been escalated even at a greater rate, hasn't it? It's absolutely yeah, oh, yeah. madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: it's absolutely. I, I mean, I spent, I, I spent, a, 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 which you might want to come on too late. I don't know, but I spent a, a fair amount of time uh, over in France, it, at the beginning of 2000 through to to the end of 2000 2008 2009 and um even in that period bear in mind I'm I'm on a lake in France which, which I own so I'm the only person fishing it and and going to sort of public lakes that, that were around and about me and there's nobody there you know or they're so big you can't see the other angler in the distance and then I come back I sell my lake come back to it you yeah know, come back to fish full time well, not full-time, but to do my fishing in England again. Mm. And it's just mushroomed in that 10-year period. You know, never mind what went before and what's come since. You know, it's just amazing, really.
0: Straight back on the tunnel, mate. Back over (laughs) there, job done. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? Uh, What's great, and I think what I'm really appreciative of, is like doing these podcasts, speaking to people like yourselves who are, literally living legends and have paved the way for me to be where i am today in terms of doing this as a job and working in the industry but you've got that whole recollection of everything that has proceeded back in the day if you like through to modern day chapters and, and stuff that you do now and how that has all changed and and sort of how things have weaved in and out of time your your starting point you talk there about the the sort of 60s you getting started in your carp fishing. At the time, that start, talk to me about that, because from everybody that's come in to sort of talk about those early days, it's always been a case of sort of you're catching a few good and you're catching a few roach. You're catching that sort of sort of everyday course fish, so to speak. And then there's been this fascination with the biggins that reside in the pond. And that has that strange sort of segue into the dark world of cart fishing. Was it similar to that in terms of?
1: Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing that I would say to you about a gathering interest in carp was was being taken by by the school that I was I went to, to the London Zoo, and being given this huge questionnaire to fill in. You know, when you go to the monkeys, can, can you write down the names of three different types of monkey? And all, that? And I I went in the aquarium first. And, yes. and I got dragged out of the aquarium and put onto the coach because I'd only answered one question because <laughs> I'd spent virtually all day look, watching Clarissa swim around that huge tank it was in. Mega. So th- that was one thing. The other thing was, um, I mean, I'm, I'm an East, born in the East End, so uh, naturally a lot of my fishing was done on some of the forest ponds and the River Lee, the River in all around there. Um, and... Quite close to one of the ponds in the forest that we knew contained carp, which was called the Warren, there was a, a little museum across the road. It's in Chingford. Right. And um, uh, in that museum upstairs were a whole host of cased fish, um, one of which was, a, was a, a, I think it's 20 pound, two ounces, might have been 20 pound, one ounce, and it had been caught in the Warren pond. It was one of the first... Uh, records that was ever recorded of a, of a carp yeah, you know, a big carp that w- was the first it rec- wasn't the first record it was the second record I think right and <clears throat> that obviously led to us you know going to to fish the Warren pond yeah and that was where I caught my first carp um, but we also had in the in, among the forest ponds there was um, uh, a place at Epping called Copped Hall and anybody who's fished for for carp for a long time and it's part of the world, we'll remember Coptall. It was a day ticket fishery. Um it was on Coptol estate. It's still there now but nobody fishes it. Um and it was very close to where Rod Stewart had his place when he lived in that part of the world. Um and it was a as I say, it was a day ticket. You could you couldn't fish at night. You you weren't officially allowed to get in there I think until about eight o'clock in the morning. And you uh, had to be off at, at dark. And yeah. You had this this chap who was the bailiff who lived in a cottage at the top of the hill. And um, I mean, when when I was at college, when I was doing my training, I used to spend a lot of time kind of fishing at Copt Hall. I used to get up early, go to go to Copt Hall, fish for a few hours, try and avoid the bailiff because you had to pay him if he caught you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then like shoot off to college. Yeah. So that was kind of. Lot, a lot of my fishing um, and it, when I was at college there was a an old an old guy who was one of the caretakers there and I had a, used to drive a minivan at the time and he said to me a couple of times you know you're, you're really pushing your luck leaving your fishing gear in that van in the car park here so I said yeah but I can't take it home I haven't got time to do that so he said well put it in my cleaning cupboard so I used to leave my gear in his cleaning <laughs> cupboard so I could do a bit more fishing when I was at college but Um, in 1971, I think it was, um, in, on June the 15th, I, I, I fished overnight and then I went to college, put my gear in the cupboard, went to a couple, couple of lectures and uh, Jackie's name was a caretaker. Anyway, Jack, I saw Jack in the corridor and he said to me, here, he said, there's a load of carp being caught down the road. So I said, No. So he said, he said, they're really hard. He said, a friend of mine has been down there and he's caught, caught a couple of carp. So I said, where's that then? So he said, Southwield park. Now Southwield park was like from where I was at college, no more than five minutes drive. Perfect. And, uh, so I went down there on what was the 17th of June, second day of its day ticket. It belonged to Elm car. Sorry. It had been controlled by Elm Park and district. Yeah. Up to that point. And, it was, it was absolute carnage. I, I've never seen anything like it. There, were, You know, <clears throat> I know now, yeah, people now, bear in mind, this was a time when you thought if you put anything on your line other than a hook and a bait, yeah. the cart would disappear, yeah? And there, there were guys there with pike bungs, you know, the old Gazette-type pike bungs? Yeah. Like a... a obviously the forerunner of a of a controller, really. A Bit of line like that with a hook, great big lump of crust, slinging it out there right. and the carp was whacking it and you know, you see the old pike bun go across the anyway, I I, I caught I caught a carp a carp in, that, that day, but in my kind of inimitable way, which was free lining. Yes. Yeah. And um yeah, yeah. So it kind of all went from there really. But yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. That, that that sort of Captivation
0: with carp. You talked about Clarissa at London Zoo. You talked about talking to a caretaker about carp and storing your tackle. What do you think it is that captivated you with with that? Why why not? Why not just stick at sort of roach fishing, match fishing, and, and that sort of thing?
1: I think it was it was it was kind. I mean, it's the very thing that I don't understand about modern day carp fishing. Really, it, for me it was the the not knowing. You know no. you, you didn't know how you know you dreamed every pond had a monster in it, you know i mean i the other place that I'd done a lot of fishing, but not for carp was um you you, you, you know the lagoons at Broxford? Yeah, 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 okay well, we well say we met a couple of mates and i we discovered them when they were on the um, Hall and company who, who later oh, yeah. became ready mixed concrete. Um, they, they controlled, controlled the fishing it. there, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, um, we were into, we were fishing at Fishers Green on, on the Old Lee at the point in time. Bear in mind, on pre-relief channel days, there was no relief channel or anything, mm. and we discovered these three pits at Broxbourne and nobody fished them. And I mean nobody, well, that, that's probably a lie, because I subsequently met a couple of people who did. Um, and we used to go pike fishing there in the winter, and we used to go, there were there were big bream. There, you know, there were big bream in there. There were big tench. Um, I remember catching a, a chub over five pound on a little live bait that, when oh, I was pike fishing. Yeah, with. yeah. So it was, and we eventually met. I met a um, uh, couple of guys like all, all the gear, and I won't say no idea because they did have an idea. Yeah. Um, and they were part of a, a specimen group which used to be in the day called the Lee Valley Specimen Group and and I kind of got you know, got in, got in with them and fished with them a bit and uh, but we used to that complex then was, I mean they they, when I say there were no carp there were some carp but mm. not anywhere no. near the numbers that the valley parks put into them there was no um relief channel <coughs> um I caught a 20 twenty three and a half pound 23 and a half pound pike there wow and wow. and it which was like a monster I mean it's a big old big pike old, big old pike and and um yeah so that kind of got me into it was – I didn't – actually, what happened was a friend of mine sent the photo of this pike to the local newspaper. Yeah. Which was a Stratford Express, which doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, they published it and at a time when there was a postal strike. Okay. And Angler's Mail picked up on the picture and used it in Angler's Mail – which then led to me being entered in some c- competition because Angler's Mail was part of the News of the World group. Yeah. yeah, And they used to have this competition for the best fish of the month. And it was a- completely almost unbeknown to me. The first I saw of it properly was a letter which came from the News of the World, which I thought was a wind-up, <laughs> saying y- you've won... Four days fishing on the River Blackwater in Ireland, you know. No way. And uh, so I went off on the plane. I've never been on a bloody plane up to that point in time in my life. And um, I met Bill Keel. Yeah? And, uh, I mean, Bill was at that point in time writing in Angler's Mouth. Yeah, he I He about carp and yeah. specimen fish. He was like my, my eye. If I had an idol, it was Bill Keel. So meeting him was like a dream. Yeah, Did you get to fish with him on, on the backwater. He, he didn't fish, but ah. he he actually kind of um, uh, wandered about and spoke to everybody. And much to my I – mean, this sounds like I'm bigging myself up. I ain't at all. I mean, I literally – because the Blackwater's tidal. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, can you believe it? I took my waders with me. You- <laughs> Don't get in there, boy. <laughs> yeah. and so as, as the tide went out, everyone else – all along that stretch, they did. They, they weren't used to that kind of fishing. You no, know, no. I just put my waders on, waded out, kicked the stones a bit. You know, the fish will come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catching one a cast. Following week, there's an article in the uh, News of the World newspaper saying Derek Stritten knew exactly what to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear! But it still still makes me laugh now, really, because I was I'd, I'd gone there as a pike angler, not really you know, as a roach fisherman. Yeah, I knew how to catch roach, but. Uh, not really as a roach fisherman. Yeah, it was one that no, was
0: great. No. great yeah. the, you referenced your first carp there. You talked about catching that first carp. You talked about the, the sort of quintessential, definitely how I'd say stereotypical methods of sort of floating crust, or even sort of, what would you the early forms of a zig where you're popping up a bit of crust. Yeah, that yeah. type of fishing... your your sort of progression with carp fishing was it all in that sort of was it all in the locality of certain area did you manage to branch out when did your carp fishing really i don't know captivate you to the point where you started traveling because obviously there isn't necessarily the network of lakes locally that that you know have carp in that you hear about have carp in you're you're trying to find venues where these mysteries
1: are aren't you yeah yeah i i met uh, a young lad in a play scheme that I worked on in a park uh, in Silvertown uh, now Docklands I mean in those days it was a pretty Mm. rough area and he was interested in fishing and and I I took him and his mate uh, pike fishing one day and uh, uh, as a result of that he said to me I know a really good lake, now bear in mind I had ventured, I'd ventured to Halton Kirby which was a day ticket and Brooklands which was a day ticket Um, but he took me to the tip lake at Darren's. Uh, we went in November. How old was his lad? 14. He'd been there apparently on some sort of a coach trip with a local club and, and he'd seen some carp, uh, and and he was real kind of, you know, you know, it's like when you're listening to the story, you want to believe it, but you don't really. (laughs) But I think, I think the only way it's going to to stop this is I'm going to go and see with him. Excuse me. And, um, we went and, uh, so that, and that got us, got got us interested in you know daren as a, as a venue um i was also travelling to um waveney valley yeah around that time yeah yeah i mean again um waveney valley i mean when i went i went with a group of lads who were um uh, were fishing at lake meadows yeah um and uh <clears throat> one of them caught a tw- I think it was a 28 and a half on a potato <laughs> yeah classic yeah, yeah. Um, now that's a big old carp over the time isn't it oh yeah it's huge, huge. It, it was it was one of those like frequently caught carp but we didn't know that at the time or it went on to be a frequently caught carp um but around that time again through the lad that I'd gone to Darren's with um, we 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 were messing about with bait you know, mm. we, and it was because we'd, 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 you know, use like luncheon meat, sausage meat, cat food. Um, and I don't, I don't even know whether they still make these things, but it used to be out buy these little glass jars of, um, sandwich bread. Okay. Um, and there were things like shrimp, shrimp paste. Yeah. You know, fish, fish meal type paste that you could put on. And so we started using them. Um, and, we, you know, it, it certainly improved our catch rate quite dramatically. Uh, and again, the, I'm, I mean, Jimmy Twitchett's the boy, yeah, because Jim's still around now and he's still fishing, he's still a mate of mine. Um, and because of the smell of the fish thing, and he said to me, Why don't we try that stuff that you feed fish with? Now, I think other anglers were doing the same thing, but mm. we didn't know, yeah, we genuinely didn't know, no. Um, uh, and So we started using trout pellet paste. Uh, And then we found something called um, salmon food, uh, salmon meal, which was a very finely grained, yeah. Um, And then we bought (coughs) – there was a little shop in Woodgrange Road in Forest Gate, near where I lived, small holder shop. I managed to get shrimp meal off of him. And so, you know, and we would – Really, our, our catches were kind of like moving forward quite dramatically at that
0: point. But still, this point, sort of free lining the usual free
1: lining, sometimes a little lead. Yeah, but I can come on to the little lead in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but mainly free lining. Yeah, with a bloody great, you know, you to get get <laughs> get, the the autistic, get it out there, you know. <clears throat> um, and uh, uh, the little lead thing. I, I mean. You, Jim Jim was still at school yeah he was 16 but he was still at school i mean i was and but i was used to in, when i was working i used to get often jump in my car at 8 o'clock at night drive to Darren's in particularly in the winter um yeah get there probably about 9 because there was only one tunnel then or two tunnels the blackwall tunnel or there was one dartford tunnel yeah yeah and so i'd get there about 9 o'clock fish till 2am in the morning, you know, and w- wade, because in those days you could wade out to the islands on the tip lake. Could you? Yeah. And um, that's, we used to wade out onto the islands, fish onto the bars and things. And I was out there one night, <clears throat> this was my first ever um, meeting with Fred Wilton, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was free lining. And I, yeah. Yeah. And the, the carp were obviously still active because they were, Um. I was getting like little twitches up and down and But nothing significant. Anyway, Fred didn't know I was on the island he'd waded out <clears throat> um, and he I, I noticed he had a little lead on see and, now Fred was I knew was at that point in time i I'd come on to how I met Fred in the first place but was using boats like that like tennis balls yeah t- t- 10, ten, ten boats to a 10 ounce mix right so <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> but on this particular occasion he was using a smaller bait mm. And he, he said to me, you know, you, you, I think you'll get in that trouble because you're not, you know, your boat's too big and you're not using the lead. It's, they've slowed down, they're eating, and it's because he caught a carp, you know, so I thought, well, I can learn from that, can't I? Yeah. But I'd, I'd met Fred initially through uh, Bob Morris. Right. I don't, know you, I don't know if you've come across Bob. No, i have not yet. but Okay, Bob was the first um, angler to ever catch 100 doubles in a season. Wow. Now in those days, I mean be, believe you me, um I I I joined the British Cup study group and they used to publish the catches of members. That's right, yeah. And um, <clears throat> you know, you get people they like have twelve fish in a season, twelve double figure fish in a season, ten, fifteen, yeah, eighteen, maybe twenty seemed like a you know, pretty yeah, massive mega. number. Yeah. And 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 Bob caught a hundred. <clears throat> um so <laughs> Yeah, and and so I got to know Bob. I got to know his friend Cliff Webb. Um, well, I still know them now, you know. Yeah. Um, and around about that time, um, Bob, I think what happened was Fred had been fishing with uh, Jerry Savage. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean Jerry's no longer with us, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak. I'm not speaking ill of him, but Fred and uh, Jerry had had a falling out, and. Jerry, who'd fished with Fred and knew about his bait at that point in time, um, was going to publish it. And Fred didn't want him to. Um, So um, what he said, he said to Bob, um, this is probably about 72-ish now. um, He said to Bob, um, if you want to fish with me this winter, you know, we'll fish together and you can use my bait. And, and that led to a, a group of people coming together to fish with Fred's bait. Yes. Now, initially, that was um, Paul Jones, um, Bob Morris, Fred himself, and Robin Monday. Um, and the following year, because I, I was friends with Bob, basically. Yes. Um, Paul, uh, Paul stopped. I don't know why, but I'm... Um, Paul decided he didn't want to kind of uh, fish in that group, in that group, yeah, group setting. So I got invited to join, and so did Alan King. He um, was a mate of mine, and it it just all kind of escalated, you know, from there. Really, I mean, fishing with Fred was just like stepping into stepping into another world, completely. Fred, obviously,
0: bait wise, Fred is infamous, famous for yeah. the, the HMB. Yeah. High nutritional value base—that is the <clears throat> benchmark, if you like, in terms of where that came for you. When you say, when you say fishing with him in that setting was like transformative. What are we talking compared to
1: what is normal? Using well, I mean, I, I, I think um, a couple of times, I, I published ca- catches I'd had in Angling Times, um, and I'd. Yeah, it was. It was also. It's hard to believe now, but it was also secretive then. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I described the bait I was using as a chemically based bait, which I think suggested to them I had a, I had something more than I did. So, you know, I, that was what I thought at the time. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, so I went from you know, it, it was a kind of. How can I put it? It was, a I, I started catching loads more fish, yeah, bigger fish as well. Mm. Um, but B, there was that little c- camaraderie between a group of us that you, you know, you. I, I mean, I fish on my own all the time now, you know, and I, and I do that out of choice. So <laughs> I think I do it out of choice. <laughs> um, but but then it was just it was, it was great. You know, you turn up at the lake, you you know, you you you, you kind of like. If you were there on your own, you caught one and you wanted a photograph. Bear in mind, you had to walk up the road, across into the phone box, phones one of them and they'd come and take a picture for you. Um, there was that kind of level of friendship. It, it was great. And so, you know, When we met up and fished, it was just, it was brilliant. I mean, I, I don't know if you've, Fred had a, Fred's a very, very intelligent player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and if if you want, we can talk about how he came to his bait, which in itself is an ingenious thing. But but before that, I mean, just his sense of humour was was amazing. We, we were f- we were fishing at Darren's one day um, on what we called the set, the centre path, the, the the bank between the big lake and the tip lake. And like there were about four, well, there were probably three proper swims along there, and like one that you could just about manage in. And there were four of us fishing. Fred, uh, Bob, Robin Mundy and myself. And Robin was f- nearest to the car park and a couple of hours in, in about, I mean, we used to fish four or five hours in the evening, you know. Yeah. R- Robin c- c- came up, he was like shaking. Jesus, he said, I've just lost a bloody great f- carp. So Fred said, really? So he said, he said, he said, how big was it? He said, I don't know. He said, it came, it was fucking enormous. He said, <laughs> he said, honestly, he said, I couldn't stop it. He said, the rod went over. He said, I must have back wound for about 33 seconds. He said, I couldn't, you know, he said, and then the clutch started going. He said, and and then it it came off. So he said, broke my line. So I said, oh, oh, never mind. Anyway, a week later, we're all back there fishing. Yeah. Um, Robin comes along, comes into the swim. Now, Fred has not said anything about this to any of us, right? And because he had such an authoritative way of explaining things,
2: mm.
1: you just listened. So he said, I'm glad you're here, Robin. He said, I know about that fish you caught. So Robin said, do you? He said, I know how big it was. So Robin said, well, how do you know that? Mm. He said, well, look, he said, I worked it out. He said, I've got this equation. He said that you said you back wound for 30 seconds. Multiplied by three on a test curve rod of two pounds, he said, and it broke 12-pound line yeah after X amount of time. And if you do this and do that, he said, 17-pound, 10 ounces. So Robin said, oh, leave off. He said, 17 pounds, 10 ounces. So you you could sense this thing. So he said, how can you be so bloody sure? Fred said, because I just caught it and it's got your hook link in its mouth. <laughs> <Glass>. <laughs> and that, so that, that that kind of laughter and yeah. fun, you know, was, was 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 great. Yeah, I loved it.
0: But that is also what carp fishing is <clears throat> about nowadays and a lot of people enjoy it on a social aspect. But yeah. at that time when things are so secretive and guarded, which they clearly were, loads of people have reference sort of trying to talk to carp anglers and being completely shunned and things like that, you then got, Four, five, six blokes who were in that circle, who were very much sharing information, learning things as things develop, yeah. and having all the benefits of that sort of social, sort of click. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, like that. That is bound to sort of attract, strengthen your sort of bond with cart fishing because oh, yeah. it, yeah. it is, what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. Really.
1: I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, when I when I first met Fred, I I was a really heavy smoker. Yeah, I I smoked fifty fags a day. Did you? Yeah, and. um, And I think I well I probably wouldn't still be here if I if I'd carried on like that, you know. Mm. But I remember he said to me one day, you know, in a way that perhaps your dad might speak to you, you know. He said, "If you carry on doing that, he said you're going to die." He said, "You do realise that, don't you?" And I said, "Oh, don't." He said, "I'm telling you, Derek, Mm. you won't be here." He said, "Now pack it up," and I did. You know, yes, I, yeah. I I've, I've, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. Those sort of boats, and I, and I stopped, and I've never smoked since. You know, and um, wow. so I owe him. I owe him a lot, really. But just if I, I said I'd mention it, Fred's Bay, yes. He, when he first got into cart fishing, he read an article. I think he said it was in the Telegraph newspaper about uh, an explosion of rabbits in a particular park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of them by feeding them this particular food, you know, like on a stick on sticks that they really liked. And I I don't know what it was. Um, And then when they got them to the point where they went to those sticks to eat, they poisoned the sticks and the rabbits died. Yeah. And I think from that came this idea. If you can do that with a rabbit, if you can teach a rabbit to eat food, you can teach a carp to eat a particular type of food. Yeah. Um, and and he kind of looked into the nutritional kind of aspects of bait, um, which led him to. He, he wrote in a British Carp Study Group towards the ultimate bait. I think was his, was the article he wrote, mm. um, and that kind of led to the whole kind of explosion, really. Plus, which we'd never really we'd never used baits with skins on before Fred came along. You know, they no. they were paste. Yeah. So you caught bream, roach, you caught whatever, whatever was able to suck in what was left on the the bottom after everything else had pestered it, you know, suddenly we were using baits that were probably not far short of the size of this microphone I've got in front of me, mm. you know, with a skin on it. So the only thing that could pick it up was a carp. Um, so yeah, we went from there. Mad.
0: But it was, as you said, completely transformative using that bay on those venues, being in that group of lads where you're sussing out oh yeah, sort of what's going on. Your catch rates are through the roof and you're starting to sort of, I don't know, not, run downwards, but you're starting, you starting to move around? Yeah. What, happened,
1: what happened was, um, uh, after those Darren's years, yeah. Um, and we fished a, a, little Grange in Essex as oh, well. Yeah. With Fred's bait. Um, after those kind of years, um, Fred, who'd been living in Abbey Wood, moved to Snodland in Kent, further, further out. Um, Bob, who wasn't working when he caught his hundred doubles, to be fair, but he, he I think he, he got a job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I, I got, I, I, I had a family. Um, and so we all moved, if, you know, you, you kind of break it's like everything and it, you, you move apart. Uh, and I live, went to live in Loughton. Yeah. Um, and, um, I joined by virtue of the fact I didn't want to keep traveling to Kent. All the time, I joined some of the waters in that area, um, the Abbey Abbey Cross Lakes. I don't know if you've come across mm. them. Um, they, the carp weren't big um, by comparison to the ones I've been catching, but they were certainly plentiful. And there were two two small lakes there that I used to fish, um, but on my using Fred's bait, but on, on my your own. own. Um, and I <clears throat> I managed to join um, a club called Lakefield. Uh, who had a water called Lady Lake, which I've kind of become kind of yeah yeah. Um, again, took Fred's bait there. You know, I mean, I couldn't. I, I always this always sticks in my mind. It, it was a it was a club lake where the the regulars, to be fair, were, were way behind. You know, they they'd been there all that time. I, I'm I'm now into 1980 on this at this
0: point, right yeah.
1: Um, and I had the hair rig. Yeah, I was going to say. That's a transformation, isn't it? And, and none of them had the hair rig. And I had Fred's bait. And I and, and I be, I was used to fishing in a particular style, you know, because that was the style I'd grown up with. I didn't use open pickups anymore. You know, I just used to drop, you know, knock the reverse off. We used to get real churners. churners. Yeah, yeah. And bottle tops. Yeah. Um, and then when it was windy, we had magnets in our bottle tops and we used to stick them on a, on a metal. Did you? On yeah. a metal dish or something? Yeah, yeah. And... And um and I've I've turned up there when I first fished, I've turned up there fishing like that, having previously been over there and baited up, obviously, you know. Um and I I, I can still remember one of the regulars coming into my swim and, and he looked me up and down as if I was something of, off of another planet, you know, and he said, You'll not catch them like that here, son. So he said. Yeah. Uh, and I said, Oh, okay. And literally, I mean it's just the magic came as he turned to walk oh. out of the swim, the buzzer came on. <laughs> the the bobbin smacked the rod, and I hooked a carp. You know, and and believe it or not, it was the biggest carp in the lake at the time. How big was that? It was twenty nine pound fourteen. That's a colossal fish, and, isn't it? And uh, it was just like, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was just... What timing? What were they like? If you're catching, you were catching.
0: Were they were they a bit dark on you
1: or not? Um, they were a bit funny with me. Yeah yeah i mean there were one or two one or two people i made great friends with a guy called Alan Webb who used to fish yeah. there. and uh he subsequently kind of got me onto a syndicate little syndicate water uh he was a lovely fellow lovely man, but some of them were yeah you know, a bit suspicious i think
0: you mm, know going out there and catching all the fish yeah. go back to the down days. Darren, synonymous with everybody who's come through that generation. Absolutely. Incredible. Between Essex and Kent, the absolute hotbeds of where angling, carp angling came from, the size of fish in terms of generally around the rest of the country, etc. It was the place. Darren, very much at the centre of that. Your experience was there. You said you caught... The bigger fish at the time, or whatever, were in there with the bait, with Fred and everybody else that was on there. The type of fishing, the way you caught them, the standout memories, the other people that were
1: about at the time. Oh God, I'm, I, 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 I don't, just don't want to miss anybody out. Yeah, yeah, I just, just you know, Martin Locke.
2: Yeah, he was, he,
1: he was Young, He was a very young man then, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't say he's an old man now, but, you know, really quite – I looked at him, I thought, gosh, you're too young to go cart you know. <laughs> um, Lee Jackson. Yeah, go um, Jacko. Okay. Alan Smith, who passed away. Bless yeah. Him, yeah. Bless him. Um, Mick Nolan, I don't know if you've heard of, mm, yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, Mick is he's a special kind of an angler, yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. Ian Booker. Ian Booker, yeah, was there. Um Oh, I mean, there was there were so many. It was just in, in, Bob Morris, obviously Cliff mm. Webb, um, guy called Paul Snap. Um, yeah, it was like it was like a who's who of cart fishing. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm when I moved off of Darren's, there, it became another who's who's who of cart fishing because I remember. People like Tim. Tim Paisley moved on there. Yeah, so Tim came after subsequently. Tim, yeah, Tim, Tim came. So in fact, the, the, when Tim um, was fishing there, I remember I I'd just become head teacher of a school in Canning Town. Right. So I wasn't. It was it was drivable, and Tim said to me, "I'll I'll, I'll be at Darrinth tomorrow." Um, I'll. Uh, so I said, I'll, "I'll try and come over." I said, "I'll come over." I said, "I'll I'll come in my lunch break, but I'll <laughs> extend my lunch break." And I remember going over there, and and, uh, he was fishing um, on the fence bank across to the bar, and um, Vic Cranfield was there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I just stood talking to Tim, and as I I was talking to him, I kept looking up, and you could see this bubbler moving ever closer to where he was fishing. And in the end, I looked at my watch, I said, I've got to go. Otherwise I'll get a sack. I said, "Um, you're going to catch a carp in a minute. And literally, I mean, Tim's version is, before I'd even got back to my car, he hooked uh, uh, um, his first ever 30, So you know, yeah, that's mad. yeah. For you on there, your captures, are you, what would you call? The, the biggest fish out of the big lake, um, I had a 27 and a half, which at, at the time was, was the biggest fish that was caught, caught from there. Yeah Now I, I don't do fish moving. Um, but for some reason, I, I, I think it was the anxiety that someone else might catch it after me and catch it bigger, I moved that fish. I put it in the tree, what they called the tree lake. Right. And um, I believe Ian Booker subsequently caught it when it became a 30-pounder. Yeah, so that was that. Um, on the tip lake, I caught a lot of the known fish. Uh, it's a fish called, excuse me, uh, big bollocks. Um, <laughs> lots of people caught. But I... I caught that at twenty nine pound. You know, other people caught it at thirty. That's what happens with carp. Yeah, of eat a bit and they get caught bigger. And, um, so I think twenty nine and a half was the biggest I had out there. Big the carpeting. and then I had like several twenties out of the long lake as, as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I had quite a lot of twenties, um, but they weren't. You know, the majority weren't big twenties. They were like twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Twenty-one and a half—that kind of. But still, like, in, in, oh, in those days, it was just magic. You know, you just couldn't believe it was happening to you. Really. It's a bit like winning the pools. I'm just trying to think what what that would be in a modern day
0: a modern day carp weight. That's a good fifty pounder, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it got to be. Yeah, yeah, a
0: twenty-nine pounder is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a thirty is probably a sixty, but like a tw- a twenty-nine pounder is yeah, a yeah. it's a colossal carp at the time in in the in the how things were for you, Darren, when you when you sort of you look at it and your time and contextualize it was it always going to be a breeding ground for those those superstar anglers or not
1: i think i think so yeah why do you think that but, well because there was there was a, a there was a degree of competition you know and, and the the fact that fred had, had, was obviously making his own own bait and we were using it and being successful led to other people um yeah trying to um mimic or do, mm. do their own thing. Um, there were so many good anglers on there. You couldn't help, but Pete Springate was on there. I didn't yeah. mention Pete, Kenny Hodder, um, Johnny Perkins, who was there, mate. Um, I'll come back to Pete in a minute if I can. Yeah. Um, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, you know, someone would come along and, uh, say to you, like, you know, we skipped the old, um, uh, Mm. bottle tops you get a lot of line twist yeah yeah so if you if you didn't get it right it twist and hit the butt ring and you get bang yeah. yeah um you know and, but i remember i think it was fred again he said like what tape another ring tape another ring close to it like that first of all it exaggerates the movement of the indicator mm. so the angle of the line uh secondly you won't get a twist you know those sorts of things um Seventy seven nineteen seventy seven I think it was, Kevin Maddox appeared. Yes. Um Lenny Middleton. I was good friends good friends with Lenny for a time when he when he was there. I'd previously met him at a place called the Railway Pool, okay. which was at Bishop Stortford. Um, and uh, <laughs> a, a, bizarre, this is how much carp fishing's changed. Um th- this little pond it's it's in a place called Pig Lane. A lot of people probably recognise it just by that, that description, but um, it held a 30-pounder, which was why Lenny and I independently appeared there, you know. And um, it had so many rules for carp anglers that you couldn't do. They had this huge notice board up. As you went in the car park, big notice board, rules for carp anglers. You know, know this, know that, know this, know that. Know. Uh, no bedchairs. <laughs> now, bear in mind, we were only using sun lounges at the time. Going to say, right?
2: yeah.
1: <clears throat> um, so we decided that we could get round that rule by you know, you know those sun lounges where you pull the arms and they go back. Yeah, they collapse very high off of the ground. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember <laughs> it was it was all that lake was very close to the River Stalk yeah. So at night, on a cool, damp night, it was very, very misty. And I remember my meeting with Lenny was, he was on a sun lounger as well. And as so I walked along the bank, it's already dark, you know, I'd gone off. Yeah. And um, I saw that it was like an apparition. It was like a funeral pyre. You know, you know the, when you yeah. see these, he was like high up, up in the grass. <laughs> oh my God, what's that? It was Lenny Middleton. So that's when I first met him. But. Yeah, and uh, the, the the Kevin Maddock story um, was obviously Kevin had and Lenny had the hairy. You know, we didn't know that that was what it was at that point. We were what we were doing. which I'm not saying it was particularly special. We were rolling by that point baits that were barrel shaped, right? We were like literally taking the hook link off with a, where the swivel was, putting a baiting needle, pulling it down the Freddy shank through, yeah. of a big hook. So, the point was exposed, so we were getting pretty belt in takes anyway, yeah, but um that that hairy just t- turned it around, didn't it, you know, and I still remember one day I, I mean I wasn't fishing at Darren's a great deal then, but i I turned up one fr- turn up on a Friday night, um go straight from work, be in my suit, <laughs> yeah, take a rod, and something, you know, walk along, find somewhere I wanted to fish if i if i you know if I could find anywhere put the gear down, go back, go in the car park, get changed. you come back with the rest of me gear and fish. And this particular Friday, I'm walking along the bank and there's, there's two rods. I knew they were Kevin's cause he had those, um, carbon.
0: Yeah. yeah the
1: first carbon. Was. And, um, it, it, to be fair, it was, you never really saw Kevin off of his rods. You know, he, he wasn't the sort of guy who wander off and talk to people. He wasn't there. And, um, I said to the fellow who was in the swim next door to him, where's Kevin? He said, oh, he's over there talking to that bloke on the high bank, which was Lenny. Yeah. So I said, oh, it's unusual. Anyway, I didn't think any more of it. All of a sudden. One of them's gone. One of them's gone. So I, I'm saying to this bloke, I, I'd go and salt that for him. He said, I ain't touching his rods. Yeah. Because he was a bit of a god at that point. Yeah, to 100%. Be fair. Yeah, yeah. So I said, well, you can't just leave it. So – I've hollered out to him, you know, across the lake. It's qu- quite wide at that point. And I don't know if th- he heard me. So I thought, oh, sod this. So I've just gone up to his rod, shut the pick up. And I thought, it just felt strange that I picked up the rod and the fish was already hooked.
0: Uh, you're not striking him on.
1: You know, and I thought, anyway, he, he, you've never seen anyone run so fast, honestly. <laughs> he ran the... Bet. along the road bank, but and literally, I mean, most people at that point, by this point in time, the fish is wallowing somewhere where that armchair is over there. Yeah. Yeah? And I mean, I, I didn't particularly want to land it, but in those circumstances, even in those days, you say, "I've oh, got get on with it, mate." Yeah, get it you know, done. Uh, of course, that rod was out of my hands so quick, Ooh. and when he netted it, he, f- he literally got it got it in the water and he wouldn't get it out the water, you know, and that, obviously the reason for that was he didn't want people to got find out about the it,
0: hair, but, mate. Yeah. How, how did you come to, to know about the
1: hair there? <clears throat> um, I, I don't actually know. I think, I think, oh, I, I, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He was fishing at Darrant's at the time, um, he had seen it and he told me about it. I'm t- oh, goodness me. What's his name? This is. But
0: it's word of mouth. essentially. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it? yeah. And to be honest, I, I, I remember the first time I ever used it. Um, I was, again, I was back at nazing because that was where I was doing the, most of my fishing. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I put my barrel bait on the shank of one rod and I put a hair rig out on the other rod. With a barrel bay or with a round no, one? With just a round bait, yeah. 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 Um, at the way i have been told it it worked. And that evening, I caught five carp. And each time I caught a carp, I kid you not, I swapped the rods over. So the hair rig went into the swimmer, I'd caught the carp and the barrel thing. And I caught all of them on the barrel thing. On the barrel? Yeah, not on the hair. And I very nearly at that point almost said ah, that but i didn't i carried on and subsequently came to to realize i mean i you know it's funny the things you people mention to you and if if you try it and it doesn't happen mm. you you could easily just pass it by i remember um uh, uh, get, uh, going back to waveney so i'm jumping about here no 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 you're fine um going back to waveney uh, i met chris shates there did you and i didn't even believe he was chris shates to be honest it was um it's funny he'd been he he he, the first big common he caught from Redmire. Yeah, it was on the front page of *Angling Times*. Yeah, and I was fishing at Waveney with Jimmy Twitchett. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were on G Lake, and the toilet block was by by Sea Lake at the time. Jim had gone to the toilet in the morning, came back. He said, Yeah, you know that bloke who caught that big carp on the front mm-hmm. of the so said, He's fishing over there." I said, "I'll leave off." Yeah, why would someone who's fishing at Redmire be fishing at yeah G Waveney? Yeah. He said, he's fishing over there. I said, no. And he kept on about it so much, I went for a walk to see if I could see him. And I came upon this, this guy. I mean, this is not Chris's Chris, Chris. I, I, and I know him and I love him to bits. But there's this bloke laying in the undergrowth. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a, a black bin bag pulled up to his waist. He's sleeping on the floor. Yeah. His back rod rests are made from wire coat hangers. And I'm looking. I'm like, no way, is that Chris Yates? I've gone back laughing. As, as it happens, a while later, Chris Yates came wandering into the the, the swim we were fishing. You see, and no. I thought it is. So, because Jim said to him, "You're the bloke who's on Ang," and he said, "Yeah." He said, "I'm here on holiday with my brother." You know, so <laughs> so they were fishing, but and working in a, a a farm up the road part time. No way. Anyway, it's part of our conversation. Chris was was we were using the the, the trout pellet paste. I you know, going back again, yeah. And Chris was interested in it. Somebody, yeah, I mean, we, we told him about it, and he said, "I oh, said, oh, in that case, I'll tell you about my bait." So he said, "It's sweet corn." Now, but I am an East End kid, you know. Yeah. I was a proper East End kid, and I mean, I I didn't know what sweet corn was. I genuinely did not know what sweet corn was. I mean, I'd, best I'd ever had was baked beans. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, and. I, I said to him, oh, well, what's that then? He said, oh, you you buy it in the, in the grocery shop. So, so I think he's winding me up here. <laughs> so he said, he said, you'll recognise it. So I said, how? So he said, it's got a little green giant on the tin. I thought you, so-and-so, you're really having me over. You're taking it. a mickey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took me a long while to realise what a mistake that was. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you a few last yeah, yeah. stuff, yeah. mate. Go, go back to Pete Springgate. Um I, I always remember I first met Pete. I'm going back to now, 19, probably 68, 69. Broxbourne Lagoons, which I yes, said we always said, had yeah. to ourselves. Yeah. Turned up there one night in, in the week, which was unusual because we didn't used to go there. It was weekends we went there, but, um, and you could drive along the bank of the centre lagoon then. Right, uh, drive drove along the, the the bank, going towards where the yacht club is. There's a Hoover van. Yeah,
0: the infamous Hoover man.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was Pete. Yeah, Pete and Kenny. Yeah. Were they? Were they on there?
0: What was your when you stumbled across these guys? Obviously, some of them at the time were forging their reputation, if you like. Yeah. Some of them, when you met them, maybe later on, had already got the reputation of being sort of pioneers or whatever you want to yeah. deem them as yourself have been but when you met all these people was there was there an instant camaraderie was there an instant sort of level because I always think cart fishing has that where you might turn up on the bank in a modern day age and see Alan for example and Alan will just treat everybody like he's nothing special and we'll muck in yeah was
1: it the same back then was everybody sort of I think often there was a degree of suspicion okay and, until you kind of got the feel of that person, and I mean, you've you've met Pete. You, you yeah, know, yeah. You, you can't help but like Pete. And, yeah, yeah Pete. Pete. And, and, and Kenny, uh, who uh, uh, doesn't fish with Pete so much now, but he still fishes. Um, he was he was the same. You know, they're both both gentlemen. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, really kind of into it. They they were more into it. The carp they were fishing for carp there, and and, and at that point, I don't think any. It was, I mean, it's one thing fishing a forest pond with no carp in it, you know, which which is half an acre big. It's another yeah. thing fishing like what seemed like an ocean in those days, you know, yeah. and not knowing whether there were any carp in there. But that was the way it was, you know, it was that kind of unknown, that adventure, that yeah, you know, the very opposite of where we are now. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The
0: polar end of the other yeah. spectrum. You you told me a, a story off camera about fishing a forest pond, mate. Yes, and, and that and that that I think beautifully sort of um, sort of sums up the sort of romance around cart fishing at that time and what exactly it was
1: all about. Tell Tell them the story about yeah. about that. <coughs> we we we, um, we got uh, from the Epping Forest Conservators. Um, myself and a couple of friends, we got a, a book that had maps of all the ponds that were in Epping Forest, um, all of which in those days you could fish in. Yeah, um, and uh, we we kind of went on this kind of round robin thing. You we know, went and found them all and decided, oh, we'll have a go at that one this week. We'll have a go at that one. But there was one particular one. It was at, it was there, there were two lakes, and the, the place was Goldings Hill in Loughton. And one of them is still a fishing lake now, the, the the one that's by the road. But beyond that, in the forest, and it was it was creepy, believe me. But it, there was a s- smaller pond in there, and I just got it into my head that there had to be carp in there. Yeah, I didn't see any, but I it was it was so kind of like, you know, that kind of uh, eerie sort of yeah. mist in the you know the trees. It had and, the atmosphere yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, And and I we sp- we spent. Or uh, me and a mate, we spent most of one summer fishing there, like Friday and Saturday night, or Friday or Saturday night. Never had a bite. Used to fish one rod on a ledger, one on a, a peacock quill in the, in the light of a torch. Um, and you know, it's like you're set there, you're dozing off. And like, yeah. and I remember this one particular night, I I woke I woke up and my float was no longer in the torch light but what i hadn't realised when i cast it out the line had gone across a bush or across a twig sticking out from a bush and when i struck i saw what i thought was like a a giant animal you know in the torchlight actually it was a really big newt that had <laughs> taken my lobworm and um <clears throat> yeah that was so i, I mean and uh, that was a, that was the one part of it yeah <laughs> Now, moving on, to just add to the story, a few only a few years ago, I was at the Brentwood Show on the Carp Society stand, and this guy came up to me and started talking to me about the forest ponds because he knew I'd done done some fishing in some of yeah. And he said, um, did you ever fish Golden's Hill? I said, I said, I did, yes. Yeah. He said, how did you do? I said, fantastic. So he said, what did you catch? I said, a bloody great newt. Big one, though. Big one, yeah. So he said... <laughs> He said, well, that's hardly any good, is it? So I said, it is. So he said, why is that? So I said, because the following year the pond dried out and there were no carp in there anyway. <laughs> so literally. That's, that's kind of literally, you know, having said that, round the corner from from there, there's a pond called the Wake, Wake Valley Pond. mm which obviously you know had some pretty big carp in at yeah. the time.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah but not the dried out newt the, pond. No, not the newt <laughs> pond. <laughs> but a newt's a result in there, mate. You've done well. Serious angler. Talk to me about about the BCSG. Now the British carp study group, we've heard it synonymously sort of It's sort of formation, people getting involved in it. You and your experience of that, you obviously became a regional coordinator of Essex region, but your sort of entry into it, where that sat in terms of carp fishing at the time. Talk to me about that, because obviously comparisons now are very different. It's a very different time. We've already said that.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there were no other groups. Mm. I mean, there were little individually based specimen groups, but no carp groups. Um, And the British Carp Study Group had this kind of reputation for having the best anglers in, you know, the best carp anglers around as members. And I wanted to join. Now, they had this vetting system, basically. You know, you had to fill in a form, write down what you'd caught in the last three years, um, send it off to Peter Mullen, Mm. um, who was the secretary or chairman or whatever it was at the time, founder. And um, you would then... Hopefully, get invited to an interview by someone in your the area that you lived, and they they had the decision about whether you should join or whether you shouldn't. Yeah. Anyway, I sent my form off. Never heard a word. Didn't hear anything. What year is this? I think seventy one, seventy two. Okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> didn't hear. Didn't hear. Didn't hear. Thought, oh, they don't want me. And then I was fishing at Waverney, uh, again with Jimmy Twitchett, and we, we, we were fishing Sea Lake at this point. Now the difference between Sea Lake and the other lakes at that point in time was Sea Lake had a load of stockies in, okay, that that had been obviously fed on pellets, and we had trout pellets. Oh, it's a bait. We just absolutely <laughs> sl- oh, it was it was, just, it was embarrassing, but it, anyway, what happened was we we were there. Um, J- Jimmy was a the best sleeper I've ever met. As a young lad, you know, I mean, you do, do not you? You sleep for England. Right? Oh yeah. You know, and you, you you you'd be laying in the in the bivy in your bivy at night or under your umbrella actually, and he'd be he'd be snoring away next to you, and he would get a run, and you'd literally have to shake him like this, get the rod, put it in his hand. But anyway, um, <clears throat> this particular day or afternoon, we were set, set there fishing. We'd already done one night, um, and this guy came along. Set up in a swim next door. Uh, Now we, again, on this making your own and fiddling about with things, we had heron buzzers, which, you know, we'd converted, basically. We changed them from the previous contacts. Mm. We used to get these contacts from GPO telephones. You could buy them in electrical shops. Um, They worked far better, yeah. Um, So took the old contacts out, soldered the new ones in. We put a little light in the front. So when the buzzer went, the light came. The light. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, it it sounds magical, but I mean, it had, su- it had more wires than Jodrell Bank, really. You know, <laughs> but, but it was different, and people liked the look of it. You know? it cause it,
2: yeah.
1: Oh, and the other thing, we did with the little tiny sc- adjustment screws, we got the, the, the little rubber butts that used to be on cork handle yeah, rods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We put them on the screws, so it was easier to turn. Te- yeah, and, nice. You know, this guy came along, his name was Graham Whiting. He's still around now, yeah. Um, and he was interested in our buzzers. Yeah, quite oh, good. He said, um, so uh, we talked to him about it and he said, I'm, I'm fishing in the next room. You okay with that? just so, yeah, fine. Anyway, that night we caught about 10 carp. The buzzers were going all the bloody time. Yeah. In the morning when it got light, Graham came down to us and he, um, I think he said, God, he said that those buzzers are not too good, are they? So I said, yeah, they're all right. He said, well, they kept going off in the night. So I said, because we were catching carp. Nah. And then of course, he clocked the wet net, yeah, you know, the wet sack that we'd put one or two in, you know. Um, and, oh, he said, oh. So he said, you should join the British carp study group. So I said, I've been trying. So he said, have you? So I said, yeah. I so said, I've sent me form off and, you know, nothing um, back yeah. no, no, no. he said okay he said Peter Mowen's in the swim around the corner there go and speak to him so he said I'll have a word with him first so I said okay so I went around spoke to Peter um, Peter was he, he, I I actually liked him I fell out with him eventually but like meet, meeting him I, I liked him he he I imagined this man who'd set up the British Carp Study Group to be the kind of best angler in the, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was probably close to being the second worst, I would think. <laughs> right. He, he, he just wasn't, you know, he, was, well, he wasn't the sort of carp angler that I was expecting. And yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he said, I oh, hear yeah, you've caught a lot of carp. So I said, well, yeah, we caught, we had 10 last night. So he, 10? So I said, he said, what bait are you using? So I thought, do I tell you? Yeah, yeah, do you tell him? Anyway, I said I'll bring you some round. So I took him round a ball of trout pellet paste. He put it on, cast it out. Bear in mind, he's free lining. Yeah. yeah, cast it out. I've gone to walk away, and he's bang. He's I can hear. He he's hooked a carp straight away. You know, so I've got in the British Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you have. <laughs> um, and and the, the interesting thing that followed that. Um, was that the, the, the people who have, have been my friends, you know, still are my friends in some cases, um, uh, a guy called Terry Fishlock, he lives in the, in America now, Peter shared the trout pellets with him. He shared them with um, Chris Ball. Yeah. He shared them with Mike Starkey. Yeah. And they were fishing over in Surrey, so it didn't affect my fishing. But, oh yeah, crack But on. they went on to, you know, um, yeah. So they still talk about it now, you know. That so I became, I got in the British Club study group um, when Peter. Um, I, I mean, it's this silly thing about this that that kind of camaraderie between people who were teachers, you know. He, yeah. Oh, you're a teacher. That elevated me further up the, up the, the ladder, idiot. you know, because he'd been a teacher, and he said, um, yeah, he, he said to me, I, I, I've some lakes I control in Devon. If you come to Devon on holiday, you can fish my lakes. So I went to Devon on holiday. Obviously. Yeah. And went and fished his lake. So, and and actually caught not hundreds, but I caught a few. Um, And at that point he decided I was the right person to be the Essex regional organizer for the British Cup study group. So did he offer it to you then? Yes. Yeah. So I became the organizer. Now bear in mind I, I, you know, what I, I mean, I've been to meetings. I've been to some of Chris, Chris's meetings, you know. Yeah. In, oh, I mean, can you believe that? I mean, I find it hard to imagine now. Tony Howells is no longer with us, but was a well-known Essex uh, angler and also uh, was a member of the BCSG. Tony and me in my minivan driving from the east end of London mm. <coughs> to Staines for an evening meeting, with, you know, two or three hours. Oh. And then drive back again and go to work the following day. But that's what we were so enthusiastic. That was the way it it is, you know, the way it was. And I got to meet Chris, bless him, you know, became a a really good mate. Um, And so I became Essex Regional Organiser. And um, again, you know, the world's changed. Handwritten letters. I'm holding a meeting in the Moby Dick pub in Romford. If you want to come, this is the address. Yeah, I sent it yeah. out, and because there weren't hundreds of members around, yeah, I sent it over to Kent. I sent it to Essex. I sent it to Surrey. Bruce Ashby, yes, all the way from Kent to to the pub to have a couple of pints and talk about carp. You know, that's that was the way it was then. You just hungered to. Um, I mean, dare I touch on Kevin now? Yeah, I okay.
0: think. I mean. To be fair, I've done, I think, about six parts of his story, and I think one of the parts that, you can listen back to those podcasts that he talks about, is his sort of first to be involved in the British Carp Study Group, and that being sort of very much at that time for him, what he wanted, and not really it going according to plan initially, shall we say? Yeah.
1: Well, what happened was, I mean, I... I used to get every now and again I'd get a letter from Peter or a phone call um can you vet this person can you vet that person yeah
0: yeah and,
1: uh, eventually he said I've got this young lad um he said he lives near South End he said um he wants to join the British Carp study group he's he's applied three two or three times yes that's right um and he said He's not been accepted, he said, but he keeps writing to me. Will you see him, Derek? So I said, yeah, of course I will. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I got in touch with Kevin. Um, now, bear in mind, at that point, I was still living with my parents in my parents' house yeah, okay. in Forest Gate. <clears throat> so if, if anyone came to me to, to be vetted for the British Cup, so I've got anything else for that man? I used to take him up the local pub, which was called the Spotted Dog. And um, I said to Kevin, look, if you come to Forest Gate Station – you know, uh, told him how to get how to find my house. I said, we'll go down, you know, go, go, we'll go out, and have a, have a meet and we'll talk. Well, I remember the, the doorbell rang and, uh, I opened the door and there was Kevin. Um, and bless him. You know, he, he, he didn't look old enough to go in a pub. <laughs> and I was thinking Oh God, how am I going to smuggle him in there? Oh, you know, yeah. was, but we went and we got in and we hid in the corner and, uh, yeah, I liked him. I loved his enthusiasm. He was really enthusiastic and he, 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 uh, <laughs> there was an abrasive side to him. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But that wasn't a problem to me. You know, I I, I just really kind of liked, liked what he said. So I said to Peter, look, you know, and he, he showed me some photos of fish he'd caught. I think Star Lane. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He'd been to uh, another place I'd fished in the early days, Lake Meadows. Um, and... uh Various other ponds local to him, um, and I said, "I think we should let him in." Yeah, so he said, "Okay, if you say so, we'll let him in." So Kevin joined the British Carp Study Group, which started a, an interest. You know, I mean, it's again we we were all so keen in those days. I mean, remember the old. Red phone box, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Kevin was all forever phoning me up from his red phone box, wherever that was. You know, you did the the, pe- the pennies d- drop, and yeah, you know, hello, <laughs> it's Kevin. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've I watched him kind of you know be, begin to build his business. I mean, I think the first thing I saw was um stainless uh rod rests and things, oh, right yeah. before
0: sacks and all and that. I, I think
1: that was bef- it might have been after the sacks, yeah. but it was a Around that time, and and then the sacks, um, which was in in itself was a funny story because I also had another very good Essex friend, Del Romang. Oh, did you? Yeah, and Del was obviously now Del Kim. Del Kim but yeah. he was making sacks at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just great rivalry between them about these bloody like <laughs> nylon sacks. They were completely different because Del was using this really heavy duty material. Yeah, which tended when you literally you almost had to fill, it, although it had holes in it. You had to fill it with water You almost had to fill it up Yeah Whereas Kevin's was this very loose weave Very soft sort of But God there was a great rivalry between <sighs> them It was amazing really But uh, And I, I, I You know I hope Kevin will forgive me for saying this I always remember if, 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 He could he, I don't know how old he was He wasn't very old He phoned me up one day And he was chatting about fishing And Could, could I get him some bait Could I get him some casein So so I said to him I, I can try yeah, I, I can't guarantee it. I said, I can ask Fred, but it's Fred's decision. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> we got him some casein. Mm. Um, and, and he used it and he, and I think he used, um, I don't think he did very well to begin with. And I remember him saying to me, trouble is I ain't catching any more than anybody else. Cause it was Fred's original attractor that he published was PYM. Yeah. And, um, Obviously, people were just getting PYM and bunging it in anything. So if you went in with a high nutritional bait with yes. PYM, you weren't getting the advantage. that. So he, he found me, It's he not. I'm not doing very well. I said, well, change the label. I remember saying that to him. See? He said, what do you mean? So I said, get rid of the PYM and use something else. Mm. And so we had a discussion about essences and things like that. Because so, then, then he was on the phone, I've caught that. <laughs> And then the next time you phone me, I'm get. You tell me I'm getting married. You know? Oh yeah! I was sounds- <laughs> like saying to you, well, good luck with that one then.
0: <laughs> I don't. think Yeah, I don't, <laughs> classic actually that, yeah. that sounds like he did. I remember him telling me that exact story of going to the pub and like being like, oh, sort of not starstruck, but just wanting to get in and then yeah. go I, I don't know. In that time, was it the sort of the BCSG? Was it the sort of pinnacle of where you could go with your cart
1: fishing? It it was really yeah. yeah yeah and it was also it was the route to, uh not not that everybody wanted the route but it was the route to things like Red My Pool you know which yes. was being run by Tom Mintram,
0: yeah. point. yeah yeah
1: um, it's that or, network
0: of people like yeah, nowadays right. you've got social media and you yeah you maybe can reach out to those people yeah. at your time when things are happening in order to be in the right places with the right people that's your framework isn't it yes you're in the BCSG we're all the BCSG lot. This is this guy. This is this guy. I want to go and fish there. This is... I I completely get that framework. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the vetting process at that time, application wise, vetting process wise, you were obviously involved and, and organized the Essex region, which was a predominant region in terms of the whole carp scene. Your vetting process, did you have loads of people trying to influx in at any time not, or not really? Not lots. Um,
1: no. I, I, I vetted Kevin Maddox. Good vetting. Um, I vetted Jeff Kemp. Yeah. Um to my shame, uh, and I'll say it publicly now, I also vetted a guy called Bill Bill Lovett. Yes. Who was friends with I didn't know he was friends with Kevin. Yeah. And and I didn't I didn't agree his ap- his membership. No. Um and, and I've I've always felt bad about that. And it and it was nothing to do with him. It was to do with the fact that he came to see me. I'd, I'd moved home at that point. I was trying to decorate the, the kid's bed, the bedroom <laughs> upstairs. He came to see me. I didn't really pay any attention to him when he was talking to me. And he went off and I thought, well, I, I don't know enough about him. I can't, you know. Can't vouch for it, yeah. And I, yeah, but I've said about that really. But we're st- I think we're still mates, but there you go.
0: Yeah, but, mate. you'd be. It is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? That's right, yeah.
1: But, yeah, there the, are the, the people um, I, I vetted um, – guy called Mickey Mickey Lindzel, Mickey Lindzel he's still fishing, I think he's yeah. I don't know if he's still friend he was a good friend of Zenon's, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. He's he's up. Up. Him. yeah um and then I had this massive falling out with Peter Mohan over something <laughs> yeah you know, which, um, which something or nothing really, I mean, because the British Carp study group was um the pinnacle, as you say, you yeah, know, I remember going to um an AGM uh, that was held in a caravan on Duncan Cave's Lake when he was still running. Can you imagine how many people do you get in a bloody caravan? Yeah, you I was know? going to say, it's not a big meeting. Though, no, is no. It? no and I, and I, I remember saying to him I, something like, like why, don't, why can't we just hire a hall, you know, or a room, or, and in front of other people? And he said, um, we can't afford it. So I said, but we all pay our subs, Peter. Yeah. So he said, well, if it all goes on the magazine. So I remember, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he was fiddling because I don't believe he probably was, but yeah. it, it crossed my mind at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying to him, well, if if we had accounts, we'd know how much money we got, you know, because there were never any accounts published or anything like that. So, and that was it, you know. I was I was Mr. Black Mark. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 And the funny thing, I still remember the, the person, No, people were kind of, it was almost like a fear, you know, you don't upset Peter. It was that kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. the only person who stood up for me that day, bless him, was Bruce Ashby. Yeah?
2: Yeah, I remember
1: that quite clearly. And uh, anyway, I came out of the meeting and I thought, I don't need this, you know, I don't need to be involved if, you know, So, I'd, and I dropped out completely. Did you? Yeah, yeah. That
0: was the point, though, yeah? Yeah, that was, you, also. You've got a lot, of, you, you like, I know it's carp fishing and I know it's important and I know everybody loves it, but at this point, you're talking about decorating your house upstairs. You've got a family going, you're teaching, aren't you? Have you become a head teacher at this point or not?
1: Yeah, I was, a, yeah, I'd become acting head teacher at that point. So you're yeah. busy, mate, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot on your yeah. plate there, full stop. Yeah. And then, of course, 1981, which was just, just followed it. Um, I think in um, Anglin magazine, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I read something about a, a new group, which was having a meeting in Sheffield. Yes. And that was the Carp Society. Yeah. Being a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> don't <laughs> I, you, I do. I, don't, I, don't. I, um, <clears throat> I remember I got in touch with Del Romang. Yeah. And said to him, how do you fancy going to Sheffield? They so said, <laughs> you want me to drive? So I said, yes, please. (laughs) He said, when is it? So I said, a couple of Saturdays, three, three Saturdays time or something. I said, I'll get the tickets. So he said, I'll come. So I wrote, it was Tim Paisley. Tim. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote to Tim. I didn't know him at all and said like, you know, I'd like to come to your meeting. Can I have a couple of tickets? Um, I, um, I like, yeah, I'd like a couple of tickets. I fell out with Peter Mahon, which is why I now have no interest in the British Cup Study Group. And Tim, I wasn't expecting – he wrote me a long letter back saying yeah. he said everybody's fallen out with Peter Mahon because he'd had a falling out with him as well. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <clears throat> And And uh, anyway, we went to Sheffield, we went to the meeting. I remember Rod Hutchinson talked and Chris Shates talked. <sighs> there were only 80 – I mean, it sounds bizarre, but there were 80 people in the room because that was the, you know the maximum number you could have. And when it broke for lunch, um, Tim said to me and Dell, "I'd like you to come into the side room with a few other people." Um, so we went in, and he, he said, look, I'm gonna, I want to get this gr- group going. Like, are you prepared to help us?" So, uh, you know, Dell was a glutton for punishment as well, and I, I said, he, he, he said, "Yeah, we can do it." He said, "We can, we can run an Essex region for you." So that was the start really. Um What year is this? Did you this say this is eighty one, yeah. And I, what I remember was I mean, because of my previous contacts with um uh, Brentwood, yeah. that's where I went to college, I said to you, my and pub in Brentwood, it's got a room upstairs. If if we can sell enough beer, he'll let us have the room for yeah. nothing. I said, let's let's organise it there. So that's pretty central for people. So he, um, he said yeah we'll do that so obviously we put up posters in tackle shops you know we the best best you could do it in them days hoping that we might get 10 or 20 people now we parked in the, the public car parking um, in the center of Brentwood behind the, the main shopping center which meant we had to walk along the road and the pub was straight in front of us it's not a pub anymore now it's been converted into flats okay <clears throat> We're walking down the street, and I remember, like, suddenly, I could see this line going <laughs> from the door. And I, I, I looked at Dale and Delly, and he, I think we both said the same: "Fucking hell, <laughs> what's gone on here?" Because the room wasn't big enough, basically. Yeah. Anyway, what what kind of came from that was that obviously there was this real interest from carp anglers. In being part of something, yes, but that you didn't have to be special to be part of it. You mm-hmm. know, you didn't have to qualify. You didn't. You could just pay your money and join. Um, and that was the start of the carp society, and, and it's kind of crossed my life so many times over mate, the last forty a, years. It's uh,
0: that's a chapter in itself, yeah, isn't it, yeah, mate? It is, You've yeah. written books already, mate. You could write another few on <laughs> on your life with the involved in sort of organisation and the development of carp fishing. The that that sort of I don't know I don't know what you'd call it whether it be tribal whether it be something but I feel that's always been even carp anglers nowadays not to the extent of the BCSG and and maybe the carp society but there always is that sense of like a collection and belonging to something isn't yeah, there whether there was, it be yeah. your brand whether it be what terminal tackle bait you use bait company uses or you even see it now that that sort of people wanting to belong or to to sort of yeah I don't know attract to a similar types of people who are, are feeling it I don't know what it is maybe it's a human nature thing I don't know but it's interesting that you say that there was that big sort of expanse of sort of everybody else wanting just to get involved in the carp society at that at that formative stage
1: yeah. uh, it was amazing it was because we went on to um, I think the first the first ever big event the carp society ran I'm pretty sure was at Hatfield Polytechnic okay and again you know you you're selling tickets manually you're not nothing no, no nothing generated you have no idea how many tickets are gone how many people are going to turn up on the day <clears throat> and uh, yeah it was overwhelming really you know it was, I mean, it was by comparison to anything i'd seen before you know i mean i know that the bcsg used to hold big events to me. yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was just, it just shocked me that so many people were interested in coming along. And it? then it moved to Dunstable, mm. and Wembley, and, you know, crazy, crazy. The
0: the sort of, I mean, you, you referenced Rod there, Chris Yates, the, the, the experiences you've had of those type of people over the years. Rod, I mean, everybody that has talked about Rod, I think, has always said pretty much the similar, like an enigma, a complete and utter maverick and just like yeah. off the wall, yeah. but brilliant at the same time.
1: Oh yeah. Very yeah. functional. For you, your experiences of, of, of Rob similar? It, yeah. It, I, I first met him uh, when Fred had moved, when I said Fred moved to Snodland. Yes. Fred started fishing at Johnson's. Yeah. Yeah. And although I only fished a couple of times at Johnson's, I frequently would drive down to see Fred go to his house. He wasn't in. He was fishing. Go and see him at, over at Johnson's Lakes. And that was where I first met Rod because I remember, I mean, I'd heard of Rod a, a lot before. Mm. um, But he was fishing. Now, let me th- Fred was on the road lake. Rod was fishing on an island that he'd waded out to be on the lake behind. Now, that I think that might be been called the Island Lake, but I'm not sure. Yeah, right. Um, and he was the messiest angler you could ever see. I mean, stuff was all over the bloody shop, you know. Um, <laughs> he knew how to catch fish, there's no doubt about that. Uh, one of my proudest moments, and I don't mean this to put him down in any way, shape, or, or, or at all. In the 80s, when I um, was fishing at North Harrow, um which was where I went after I finished on Savoy. um, when the pedigree of North Harrow became sort of, you know, got into the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was turning up. You know? Were they? Yeah. Um, and I remember once I, I had one of those kind of like red letter days. I, I think I had three or four fish. I, I, I sacked them up. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went looking for someone to take a photo for me. Who did I walk into but Rod? Rod, yeah. I mean, having him come and take those pictures was absolutely kind of, a, yeah, you've got one of them. I sent you, yeah, one. you yeah, sent yeah, one. Yeah, you have sent me one, mate. Yeah. I've definitely so, got you that. Yeah. yeah. You, but what, I, what I liked about, I mean, the thing I love about people like Rod Hutchinson, Chris Ball. Um,
2: yeah,
1: are They were the same with everybody. Yeah. Yeah if a 10 year old kid came and talked to rod or chris yeah they would give them time their mates would come along and try and drag them away they would almost say no let me finish this first um and you don't that's not something i mean i've been to so many bloody shows now you know you you you, you see it all the time you know so a little kid who's really or a young man or even an old man for that matter mm. has found the person he's most ever wanted to talk to in his life he's 2 minutes into a conversation and one of their mates comes along and intervenes and starts taking the mick and pulling them away, and they go, yeah? Whereas Chris and Rod never did stuff like that. They would give people time. And and I, just great ambassadors, really, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's that, I mean I can only vouch for Chris he was in here a short period of time ago and bless him obviously he's passed away but that there's that spark in some people yeah. like that you can't you can't put a, I don't know you can't you see it in so many people do you know what I mean that have done brilliant things and that have that passion and yeah mate there's that little thing that little fire in their eyes or that little glint and you think oh mate you you've got a bit of magic about you do you know what I mean not in a creepy way but in a you're in, like that's amazing to see and I mean, uh, he was in here earlier this year, bless him. And you could still see, still like after some floaters and stuff, because you know what I mean. It was forever yeah. in them. Oh yeah, yeah. And I you mean, just think it's
1: amazing. I, um, I I I spoke at Chris's funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the hardest things I've ever done. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But um, uh, he, one of his one of his lads, I think it was James, said of him, he was a big fish. In a very small pond, and he could light up a room. Yeah. And that's exactly what he could do. You know, and I thought that what an apt description, you know, wonderful, really. Yeah. I found it amazing, mate, to, for him to come
0: in here after everything he's seen, exactly like yourself, and think, how can you? I wish I would have even 50% of the sort of enthusiasm and passion when I'm if I ever get to that side of, do you know what I mean? Of yeah. doing it. But yeah, like, as you say, infectious. And it's, it's nice to hear that the likes of Rod and those people that I was never fortunate enough to meet had the same sort of charisma characteristics all the way through. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. wicked. Yeah. You referenced a very significant place there. You sort of glossed over it. True Hollywood style. You said Savé. Now there are a few places that I've got down this list. We've talked about Darren. There's Yateley. North Harrow, we talked about. I've got a picture, and, and we've posted it of a fish. But but the likes of Save, fishing on there. When you started to truly spread your cart fishing wings around this time, talk to me about those significant places your angling chapters on there.
1: Right. The thing that drew me out to those places was around around the sort of what late seventies, um, early eighties. Everybody I knew had caught a 30-pound carp. Right. And I hadn't. <clears throat> yeah. i caught a 29-pound 14. i caught, God, I'll say, I don't I mean this in a, I, I don't know how many fish I caught, like, 28 and above, mm. but i never caught a 30. And it almost became, it, it almost became a kind of weight on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was desperate to catch a 30-pounder. Um. Bob Davis, who was running Savé when it first started as a syndicate, I'd met him at Darrinth because he was fishing. He didn't have the hair, but he was fishing with Kevin and Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. Along with somebody else called Keith Gittins, I think. Keith, yeah. Keith, yeah. Keith. anyway. Um, <clears throat> and I said to Bob, I didn't know about Savé in the first year. Yeah, but The first year, it was, I said to Bob, if you ever get any vacancies – is there any chance I could join? Now, the trouble is, you, you, it's, in saying that, it become, I think it almost becomes incumbent upon you. When you get the offer, you join. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, so the year after, 1982, Bob got in touch with me and said, I've got a place for you. Uh, and he said, I've also got a place for Bob Morris if he wants it. So Bob and I joined. Yeah. Um, now in those days there was a closed season. Um, it was rotated. Was so it rotated then? Yeah, yeah, you could fish one week, and, and you could only fish the canal bank. Okay. So you literally had the road bay, yeah, and the canal bank, and that was it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and what uh, alcatraz? You could fish out on alcatraz. Oh, okay. Point, yeah, but you couldn't fish on the Long Island, the Bailiffs Island. You couldn't fish anywhere on the cone bank at all. Um, on the riverbank the canal bank you could fish the riverbank you couldn't um and so the swims were kind of a quite a premium mm. um so and bear in mind for me to get down there on a friday because i was fishing uh, working, working yeah it, it was pretty difficult because the m25 hadn't opened you were driving across london <clears throat> so i said to bob i don't want any kind of special favors but if I forego my fishing to anything other than when I'm on holiday from school, mm. is there any chance you you would waive the… Um, the rotor. The rotor. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, which he agreed to do, to, to be fair. Bless him. Um, and I found Savé quite hard going. Yeah. The, yeah um, not because I didn't catch, because I did catch… I, everything I'd read about it, I'd it, believed like literally every other fish was a 30 pounder. Yeah. Yeah. And they weren't. <laughs> so, a lot of small ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I caught like yeah, 20, I, I remember I caught 23, or 22, 24, you know, some doubles. Um, but I didn't catch any 30 pounders. Yeah. The fishing, though, was it range work most of it? Or? Yeah. It was. Yeah. 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 Um, Although to be fair, I did. I had one disastrous day where I fished on the road bank mm-hmm. with floaters. There was a couple of fish or three or four fish up on the surface, and I got them going on, on when they, they were properly competing. and uh, And I hooked three and lost all bloody three of them. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, what happened brutal. was the last one. As I was playing it, a guy called Dennis Davis. I don't know whether he's come up in any of your conversations. He was a very good friend of Alan Smith's. Okay. Um, he had been fishing across the road at Harefield. He called in at Save because he knew I was there, and bless him, he actually went in for the third one for me, but it it, it, it still came off in the pad so uh, yeah, so the, 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 mainly it was long or what we considered long range yeah, in yeah. those days um and then what happened was at the end of the school holiday, I decided I was going to start going on a Friday night to Save. Now, as you, as you know, and I'm not criticising them for it, it was pretty notorious there that, you know, everyone wound in at 6 o'clock or didn't wind in at 6 o'clock in some cases. Yeah, didn't. And, and went Off down a and barge or, yeah. you know, some somewhere else. And I remember there were two or three nights when I had these nightmare journeys, like, to, to get there. Oh, okay. On a Friday night. I got there and there were, like, two cars in the car park. I thought, oh, made it, got it, you know. Loaded the barrow up, walked along. And and along the canal where every bloody swim was taken, but they, they'd they all driven up the pub. Yeah. So I, I kind of started to get the ump with it a bit. You know, it was nobody's fault other than my circumstances. And, yeah. It's not and, a lot yeah, you can do, no, is it? It's not, no. And then the following season, we it came to the end of the season. We went to a working party and whereas Bob Davis had always been the kind of head person, mm. Bob was there But another guy was there who I'd never met before. He was the chap Graham Rolls. He used to run Oldbury Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And he was linked to Redlands, who owned the place at that point. And what he said was, look, I know you guys would really like to fish on the other side. How would you feel if I increased the membership by... Four or five, and we open it we up open on it the up, other yeah. side. So of course, if everyone's hand went up. Yeah, no, no problem. I came home, like from the work party, really quite feeling quite positive about it. I'd only been home about half an hour. Hello, Dill. I've got in seven. Hello, Dill. I've got in seven. <laughs> oh no! And I, and, and I suddenly thought, oh well, that's more than five people have yeah. phoned me. So. I've always been fairly outspoken. I, I try to contain it these days, but i always, so I got straight on the phone to Bob Davis and said, um, <clears throat> can you give me that Graham's phone number? So he said, why? So I said, I want to speak to him. So I, I phoned him up and I said, you said, you said in front of all of us that you were going to offer four or five places. I said, I've already had more than that. Phone me up telling me that you've offered him a place. Well, that's my, my prerogative. You know, oh, the, no. The, uh, so I said, oh, well, you can sell my ticket as well. <laughs> and, and that was it. You know, So one year and I was done, really. Um, but in that one year, I'd also become f- – I'd been friends with Mike Wilson for a couple of years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Mike had said to me, do yourself a favour, do it. There's a lake down the road, join it, <clears throat> and um, it's got potential for the future. And that was North Harrow. Yeah. So I i literally came off of survey again north Harrow had a close season i went with with the bait i baited it up um and i would have had the most wonderful of wonderful times because i caught quite a lot of fish did you um but the first week lee caught his 40 oh, yeah, yeah. so what would have, you know i not you know, no i did, yeah. I'd, I'd have done the same if it'd been me i'd have caught 40 i'd have been on in the, you know i'd put it in the yeah, place as well yeah you'd have blown well, it, yeah, wouldn't it? yeah um Blaine, so it's not
0: a very nice way of no saying but, it, but you, you know it yeah.
1: was it was inevitable fish of that size from somewhere that wasn't known and um so gradually like more and more people came to fish there it was first i fished it for about three years i think yeah and that again there was no night fishing so it was like drive down fish sleep in the car Go back the following day, drive home. Shattering that. It, it's horrible. And the worst bit was, like, there were, there were two places you could comfortably park. One was the car parked by the canal, mm. and you'd get these bloody idiots who'd come in there at one o'clock in the morning. They, you know, they knew you were in the van, they'd bang on the side of the van and wake you up. And yeah, so it's a bit uncomfortable with that, in that way as well. But, How did you catch them on there? Uh, HMV baits, um, fishing at Mostly fishing at range, yeah, um, and and but really trying to predict where they might be. Okay, every now and again, you 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 get really lucky, like you. I mean, that was the other thing. I again, I'll tell you another story about Roger Smith. Roger was still on Savaii at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I caught the, the three or four fish catch that Rod photographed for me, yes. The thing, well, I was going back the following day. The thing to do was never acknowledge you'd caught anything because if you went back, someone would be in the swim you were in. So <clears throat> I remember I'd gone to the wholesome barge because obviously I had to pull off in the daytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the loo. Roger comes in. He come, he's, he's next to me. We're both having a wee. Any good today, Dale? So I said, no, it's rubbish, Roger. Mm. Trying to keep a straight face. Dad. <laughs> so he said, um, Really? Have you met Roger Smith? No, oh, no, he no. had this wonderful voice, and he said, um, "Really?" So I said, "No, not a thing." Oh, he said. Anyway, he, he, he tidied himself up, it, and I was still there. He turned to walk away. He said, "Have you ever read your pupils a book or a story about somebody called Pinocchio?" <laughs> Because Rod had told him. He told yeah.
0: him, mate, But anyway,
1: yeah. as, it, as luck would have it, I got back in the swim again. and caught, So that was one way. If you could find the fish and then feed them as you were leaving and get back get on back the fun, yeah. you know, the, you'd hold them um, and, and, and or have a few hanging around at least and have another chance. Or the other thing was sometimes you'd just get lucky. You'd be walking around thinking, where do I go, where do I go? And One would jump out and if no one else had seen it, you know, wallop, you were there, so.
0: What was – And this is – I suppose it tags into sort of modern day themes. We discussed it on some of our debate podcast etiquette, right? Yeah. Obviously you've got, I don't know if it's a perception cause I wasn't there at the time, but you can definitely tell me modern day carp fishing, the lack of etiquette that some people deem it as or whatever, a different form of etiquette, however you want to say it at the time when you're fishing these venues, obviously there is the whole pub chuck, leave the rods in, go off to the pub, that scene going on, but then coupled with that, when people talk about etiquette, people leaving you alone to your fishing, if you were catching them days only, if people did find out where you're catching them from, is that swim fair game? Or would there be some etiquette around you getting straight back into it?
1: It would depend on on who the people or persons were who saw you. You know, it, I mean, I, I knew a lot of the people who were fishing there. Yeah. Um. So people like Les Bamford, you know, yeah, another, yeah. another mate. Um, uh, Alan Smith was there by this time, you know. Lee, um, Kevin, they would they would leave you they would leave you alone. Yeah, they they knew that you had that period of time, and if you would found them that day and you were going back there, that's fair game. But the people who didn't know you, you know, I didn't feel they owed you. I, I think they were probably inclined to wandering and if you hadn't already arrived (coughs) the swim was empty wasn't it you know so
0: I find it interesting like because you obviously it's like the benefit of hindsight even in my time you look back and you think oh like the it was different but then when you analyse it and talk about you know what I mean you go into detail there are definitely yeah variances within what is probably the the best case scenario that you have in your head maybe Um, other significant places you talked about Save talked about their red mine? You, you've done much I've not done a lot at Redmire no. I have fished at yeah, Redmire yeah, yeah.
1: I did the first first time I went um my wife bought me um a weekend under the um carp society scheme as it was then okay yeah um and uh I landed I had a 24 and a half I think and, and I lost another fish um while I was there I loved it um my real red my story goes back prior to that, nineteen seventy seven. Mm-hmm. I applied to join the syndicate. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I didn't get in. I was I, madness really because I would never have got there. You know, so far away. It's miles away. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but I I got invited to an interview at Tom Mintram's house. Um, went there with um, and I think who was there? Tom Mintram, uh, John Carver, uh, Dave Dave Short. Maybe a couple of other people I didn't know. Um, and it was around about the time that Dick Wheel, does that name? Yes, it yes, Black, it Black Magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dick Wheel had joined the syndicate. So obviously, they just sort of chatting away, you know, where have you fished? What what have you caught? All that sort of stuff. And, um, right. And so it came to the inevitable question, which I wasn't expecting because I was desperate to get there with Fred's bait. You know? Yes. And um, the the question was, um, this year, we're all using the same bait. Oh. So I, I kind of hesitated. I said, well, why? Mm. Well, because we think it's the best way to go. So I said, oh, okay. That's the term. And, so, and Tom picked it up straight. He said to me, well, what's, what's the matter then? So I said, well, wouldn't it be better for you if you all fished with the bait and you let somebody else use something different, and if that person using something different did as well, better or worse than you, you'd have some sort of judgment on how effective what you. It's did a bit more was. scientific, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
0: good um, pitch. I like it's very teachery, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, very. Good. I didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. But but what upset me most was that that same year, Kevin Kevin Maddox did get in. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. by the by blessing me, he's entitled to. To have a go, so but I didn't get in. But I fished there three or four times subsequently. Um, to be honest, the last couple of times I went, I'd, I'd have been more content if I hadn't have had rods with me and I could have just walked around and relived that history again, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I went, I did that. I took my um, uh, Kevin Clifford, um, read my book with me. I looked at looking at the map, looking at the yeah. ship, bloody hell, it's only about that big. That's yeah. You yeah, know? and he, he caught that fish there. It's, Wonderful, you know, see and it's still a lovely a lovely looking place. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, it's still there, yeah. Happy days.
0: Now date one thing when we were planning this that I was well quite surprised at, although I had seen a few photos that you'd posted pretty recently, is that you pretty much went from your UK fishing, all the places we talked about significance, working as a teacher. then you went over to France as well, didn't you mate? Yes
1: I did, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I, I got into the habit of going uh, going fishing in France uh, from way back, really, um, going to public lakes and th- things like that. And I <clears throat> used to um, – I'm really selfish. I, I, my wife used to come with me. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the kids used to come with me. You know, you get on this big public lake, no, no, no food apart from what you could manage to cook up on a cooker, no toilets, no wash facilities, you know. And in the end, I thought, <clears throat> I can't be doing this to them anymore. So – and because I get – also, when you're fishing like that, you end up get, – you get ratty, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You well, know, um, I do anyway sometimes. And so I thought I'm going to take him on a fishing – proper fishing holiday. We'll book somewhere that's got accommodation on the lake. We'll have it to ourselves. You know, it'll be nice. So I started doing that, you know, I, I, and I through that I got to know um, somebody called Tony Miller.
0: Okay.
1: um Tony – Uh, lived fairly near to where I lived, and I was introduced to him by Paul Selman. Tony had bought two or three lakes in France, initially bought one for himself down in Limoges. Yeah. um, And then decided that was like a long way to drive, so then he bought another one a bit near the... uh, The the, crossing, yeah, Calais. And um, he then bought a lake at Le Mans. Yeah. And... Paul Selman another name from the past who, you know, I I know well Paul um Paul said to me um Tony's bought a new lake and he wants a few people to go and fish it and see what's in there so I, I, we I went I went with Paul I went with Brian Squills with Martin Squills yeah. yeah and um and we had a great time you know we caught quite a lot of fish um uh, the fish weren't huge by French standards, but there were certainly some thirties in, you know, that we caught. Um, and through that, I got to know Tony. Um, I mean, you can edit it out if you want, but I'll tell you the story of how I got to know Tony properly. Come cool. um, <clears> on. <throat> each night on when we were at Le Mans, yeah. um, Paul Selman would, would turn up. Paul was notorious for, they used to call him the Warrington Wallet Worshipper. Oh, In
0: right. that he didn't like spending his money. Yeah, there. yeah, tight.
1: And he turned up in my swim on the first night and he uh, he had a bottle of Chateau Nerf de Pap. That's, you know, quite yeah, expensive. Yeah. So I thought, bloody hell. Yeah, what's he happened said, there? He said, Why want a glass of wine? I said, yeah, of course, Paul. Brilliant. So we had to cut the glasses of wine. Um, I thought, well, that's, you yeah, know, that's that done. That ain't never going to happen again. Well, it happened every night for the whole week, six bottles he brought. Yeah. So Jeez. I thought, Christ, what's going on here? Anyway, didn't think any more about it. Um, came home, following weekend, I'm walking around a car boot sale. No, not the following weekend, a couple of weekends afterwards, walking around a car boot sale. I bump into Tony Miller.
2: <laughs> and
1: he, he was, I mean, Tony was a lovely jovial, like, lark around sort of fella, and he was quite serious, which was unlike him. Mm-hmm. I said, said you're right, Tony. I don't know. He said, was it you? So I said, what? Was what me? So he said, was it you that um, drank my 60 odd quid box of Chateau Nerf de Pap and then replaced it with plonk? Oh, no. So I said, well, I did drink it, but I didn't know it was yours. <laughs> So what Paul had done, he, he, he'd used it and then he'd replaced it with Noz, you know, the cheap shops in France. They'd sell it for like 95 cents. He'd replaced it with five, five or six of those bottles well, instead. You wouldn't yeah. know. it. Yes. Oh, well, there you go. Um, but, uh, anyway, I, 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 we, we, we remade our friendship um, and I started going to some of Tony's other lakes for right. holidays. Yeah, we went to uh, one that was called Beau Soleil a uh, Tang Murnier. Um, uh, he dug another lake in the grounds of his house, to Tang B- Bertie, they called it. Yeah, right. So he, he had quite a few places. Um, and while I was out there one time, I kind of said to him, you know, where do you find all these lakes? I oh, said, they're all over Derek. And they were, they were cheap in those days, you know, go, go, going back to when that was. And he said, do you want one? So I said, oh, will wouldn't mind. So he said, well, there's one for sale up the road. He said, come and have a look at it. So I went with my wife. We, we were coming to the end of our holiday. We walked around. It's a beautiful place. Not big lake, about two and a half acres. Right. But with land around it. What year are we talking about? Uh, 2002. Okay. Um, and um, he said to me, if you go down to the, the next town, which was Featree, said, "In the first estate agent you come to, it's in the window there." Anyway, I went down there, and it was—it was about, I think, it was priced at something like thirty-four thousand euros. Right. No accommodation on it, okay. Other, just other, like. other than um, a, an old garage, yeah, that been there for a long time. So, um, I said to. Uh, we said, well, we said to the agent, you know, um, what, what, what do we have to do if we're interested? So he said, well, in, I mean, basically, the law in France is, I think, is quite sensible. You know, you can make an offer on a property, um, and if you, if that offer is rejected, or someone else makes a higher offer, you can then come back a second time. Yeah. So, <clears throat> on the day before we left, we went in there and I think I offered them 28,000 euros for the, for the lake thinking I was just holding it while I had time to think back mm. in England. We came back to England five or six days later, I had a phone call. You bought a lake. Well, of course, at that point you can't, there's no reneging on it. You know, it's, it's what a deal. You yeah. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, we bought the lake. Um, and, I always remember we had to go over there for um, to do the signing. The paperwork yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went over and did that. We um, Again, what a bizarre story. Um, we were going to use one of Tony's sons to do the translation for us. Okay. Yeah, they, the, the notaire reads it all in French. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the notaire said, no, you've got to have someone who speaks very good English. You know, because I don't want you to get get confused, confused or whatever. Okay. So we can hire you somebody. So I thought, oh it's a con. Anyway, they hired this guy. This bloke came in. He sat next to me. Hello, he said. He introduced himself. Um, I'm Michael. So I said, hello, Michael. You know, Derek, this is Maggie. Um, and he's talking, and I'm thinking, he sounds like David Essex. You know, he just voice sounded like – so anyway, but I'm assuming because his French is so good – He's a Frenchman who speaks English. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> anyway, cut a long story short, we bought the lake. As part of the discussion, it became apparent that we could upgrade the garage to some sort of accommodation. Nice. But we didn't have any electricity or running water, so they were think other things to think about. Um, now, I'll just return to Michael because I, I, this still astounds me to this day. We kept in touch with him after that. And any time we really needed something where we needed help, I would ring him up and he would translate it for me, you know, charge me not a lot of money, but charge a bit of money. A number of years later, I emailed him with a request about something from, from my school um, email Email address. And he came back to me and answered the question, and he said, uh, Portway School, is that in Stratford? So, so I said, yes. He said, I used to go there. Oh, no. He said, what chance of that? What? <laughs> you know, that's that one of those weird. weird. Weird, weird things. Anyway, that's, that's, but we we bought the lake. Um, we stopped. I fished it, obviously. Up, sub, after buying, the first thing I remember was arriving at the gate. The day, the day we took possession of the key, yeah. Standing at the gate, looking across, and the first thing I said to Maggie, "Who's going to cut the fucking grass?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that, you no, know. Of course, you don't not. do you? Anyway, we um, we converted the, um, the garage. garage into something you could stay in. Um, but obviously without electricity it was a pain you can manage with bottled water if you're there for a week or something you know it's not best but um so we arranged for um the um electricity company to give us a quote to to get the electricity from the road to the gate of our place um they asked for a map we sent them a map <clears throat> um next thing is uh, they, they send me a date when they're going so I wait a, a week to hear from them, don't hear anything get in touch with them um, oh there, there was a problem with your lake with the electricity so I said what's that the two operatives we sent out to do the do the estimate left the map of how to get in in our office so they went into the local Mary and you know how powerful they are in France. yeah went into the mayor and said, can you tell us where this place is? And he, you know, perfectly with his right, said, yes, I can show you on the map. Why are you going there? Because they're obviously all garbed up in their no. uniform. And uh, they said, oh, we're going to put electricity on. Well, they weren't. They were going to quote me for putting electricity on. And he's kicked off. And of off. course he kicked off. So we never, ever got electricity How's you look, though? If they would remember that paperwork, you'd done, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, what, what we eventually did, we... Um, Got a small rented house in a local village, so that when we went out there in you know the bad weather and you know like we could stay there, and that's what we did. And then ultimately, when I um, retired from uh, teaching, mm. uh, obviously the pension was good. You get a good lump sum, so we bought a house in the village. Did you? Uh, yeah. So that was nice because, you know, it's, you, you kind of knew what you were going to all the time. You got to know the local people. Yeah, you became yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah, it was, it was good. Was the
0: fishing on that lake just your fishing or did you let others come in and fish I, it? I did let other
1: people fish it in the end. What yeah. was that like? Yeah, uh, mix, a mixed bag, really. Sometimes you would let it, in fact, I let it through a, a booking agency, yeah, or I let it to people who got in touch with me directly. Um what I never took account of was with a booking agency, they would just say to you, "How much do you want?" Mm. But then they would stick a huge lump on top. Yeah. So whereas I thought what I was asking at the time was entirely reasonable, and anyone who booked through me didn't ever complain about the cost. Yeah. Um, I I started getting complaints from people who booked through the booking agency because you couldn't
0: factor in that commission. Yeah,
1: yeah, and also because they thought. They hadn't been told there was, you know, there was no electricity, and but you could use the generator. You know, they'd gone expecting the whole baggage. Um, So we did it. Some some weeks, people would go there. You know, I used to let two anglers at a time on there, but they or bloke and his wife or bloke and his girlfriend or whatever. Um, Some weeks you'd go; someone had been there the week before, you wouldn't have had a clue anyone was there. Mm. Other weeks you'd go; there'd be line hanging on the tree on the far side trees where people are casting the trees and just pulled for a break. Um, yeah, little cigarette ends on the floor, you know, all the stuff you don't really want. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag, but, and I, and I kind of, my heart actually goes out to people who have to make their living doing that Mm. because they must have to put up with some real difficult stuff or they must be as hard as nails to be able to cope with it. You know, fish stock wise, what was in there? Well, what was in there originally was, um, a stock of uh, mainly commons, okay, um, and a few what I would call throwback mirrors, like mirrors sparsely, not sparsely, heavily scowled. Um, they were, I suppose, up to about ten pounds. They weren't big fish. Um, so what I did was I I got the lake netted. I put back some of the originals, sold off a lot yeah. of them, yeah, uh, and I bought. Um, 55 um, bigger, not huge, but bigger mirrors. Um, Lost a few of those the first year, six or seven. And then I bought several, I I think I bought five thirties and put them in. Okay. Um, So when I, by the time I sold it, I I also rather foolishly (laughs) see Tony was, uh, Tony would do a bit of wheeling and dealing because he lived over there all the time. I remember one time he turned up to my up to see me and I was there on my own fishing and he, he said, I've got a tank on the back. So I said, what you got in it? Sturgeon, he said. I said, I don't want him. Because I'd, I'd seen Sturgeon at work before. I said, I don't want him, Tony. Yeah. So he said, I only want 50 euros. I don't want him, Tony. Yeah. So the conversation's got But in the end, it, much to my surprise, he's given up. <clears throat> and he's when he's going, when he's leaving, he says to me, um, how about I give you four sturgeon? No. Uh, well, I, I, I gave in, you see. I said, I'll stick the buggers in. Oh. Oh. Well, you know what they're like. In they're two and like, a bit acres? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had people who went there on holiday, but, and the bizarre thing was they didn't realise. They they they'd put 13 sturgeon this week, and all the weights were different, and I thought they caught 13 different ones. The same one, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, and the other thing I did, which I did wantonly I bought five catfish. Did you? I didn't buy big ones. The biggest one was 25 pound and I put them in because I think like when you get a 25 pound catfish, you, you play it from the bank. It's all normal. You know, well, when I, when I sold the lake, um, I think the biggest one in there was just short of 80, you know, but the worst thing was, um, one of the things that led me to sell was, in, at the end of the year, what uh, would have been ho- October half term. Okay. We were coming back to, to England and I was coming back with Maggie. And I was just walking around having a little check over the overflow, the inlet pipe, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there was a clump of uh, Norfolk reed. Yeah. That had dr- broken away and drifted down the lake. And I thought, oh, I like that out in case it blocks the overflow. So I pulled it up. There were millions of little catfish in it. Were they? you know, and you know what, that's the kiss of death. So there, there was that, too, yeah. So basically when I was fishing there, I only, I did a few nights, but mainly I just fished daytimes. Um, you know, I was catching fish to mid 30. and But what was really interesting was the, um, the originals grew on. Did they? But they were like torpedoes, you know, because they they'd been obviously hung, I've seen this with a lot of, French lakes for they stunted lack of food. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they were like you know, like they like little barrels if you know what I mean. Yeah, but like, that, you like know. river carp. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And they fought like the clappers, you know, they really did. Yeah, yeah, Boy, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah, French and
0: then back for, from you and a sort of a definitive chapter. You sort of talked about it like before a little bit. Was that the Carp Society? Now the BCSG, obviously that that sort of came to an end. <sighs> carp Society came into play and you have through whatever is in you innately to get involved in sort of organisations and frameworks and sort of, yeah, be involved. The Carp Society, well, until very recently, you were you were at the helm of it, mate, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I was a chair, yeah.
0: Talk to me about that, how that's changed over from first getting involved in those meetings in Sheffield with Tim, to formation, through to sort of your involvement as
1: chair. Yeah, I, well, I was, I was first chair in... I think probably it might have been eighty, eighty three, eighty four. 83, 84. Okay. Yeah. Did it for a couple of years. Didn't, I just didn't have the time, you know, to really do it justice. Cause I was working full time. I, I was trying to fish a lot, you know? Yeah. And, and anyway, I did it for a couple of years, did my best. Um, the society then bought Horseshoe Lake. Yeah. Which they did on, um, a deferred scheme, which Mike Kavanagh organized. And, and I, I don't, I'm, I really don't put anybody down. when I say this it's just a, because because the way accounts are written, when you get deferred income, you have to defer it to the next year. Yeah, yeah. So it often looks like you you appear to have more money to spend than you have. And the committee at that point, that was exactly what they did. They spent more money than they had, mm. and suddenly it was it it was looking a bit dodgy. Yeah. Now, Kevin will remember this because um, <clears throat> th- what they did was they formed a finance group, and at that point in time, I lived in Redbridge at okay. that point, and their office was in Redbridge. And One day, I mean, I was, I'd been made a life member because of what I'd previously done. Yep. Yeah. I'm walking down the street. I bump into Vic Cranfield, who works in the office there. Hello, Derek. It's a long conversation. How, do you fancy joining us? Our- finance group. So I said, not really. (laughs) So he said, he said, we'll be good if you could. He said like, it's only like an hour, a couple of hours, like every other week. We just check on the the money and come up with I said, I'll get going. If if you want, I'll do it. So um, Mainly because I was friends with him, you know, and if if someone's a friend of mine, I don't like to sort of, anyway, I became, I I went to the meeting and Kevin was there. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I think, Kevin, I don't know why. I think he. all he, t- he said to me at the time, "What do you bring to the table?" You know, you, you know, you're you're a school teacher, you know. So, so I said, "Well, yeah," but I manage a budget as well. Because that was at the point that I mean, previously, the, what used to happen when you were first, when I was first ahead, was the local authority give you yeah, a little bit of money, people, yeah. and that was it. Um, and it wasn't a lot of money either, but once l m s came along and you became responsible for employment and buildings like, yeah. and yeah, so it was a lot of money, like talking like millions mm-hmm. you know, um and so I did have that understanding, and I also had the understanding that you couldn't spend more than you had, you know because if you did you got you were in trouble so I, I remember saying that to him he said oh i've not, not thought of it like that so <laughs> so that was and then somebody called Peter Cameron Lane who I think was Kevin's um, – I was going to say architects, not architect um, – did his accounts. Oh, okay, his accountant. Yeah, accountant. <laughs> good, good, yeah. good, good comment. Um, so I, he joined the group as well. So, that, you know, that made, it was quite interesting and we worked our way through it. Um, and eventually I got drawn back into the Carp Society. So what happened was some of the former people stood aside – Tim got involved again. I got involved again. Um, Les Bamford got involved again. Les was the chair. I was the vice chair and the finance person, and Tim was there. And because this, in all honesty, I didn't do it through any sense of like self endearment or anything. I could have done without it. Yeah, 100%. But I did it because an organisation that I'd been part of in the beginning was falling to pieces, yeah? Mm. And what happened was it it actually set up a kind of fair amount of animosity. So every time we had an AGM, and in those days you when they were at Dunstable, you went to an AGM, you'd have 200 people in the audience. Gee, yeah. And you'd get, like, real difficult questions about the money and, you know. Because yeah, anyway, what was membership? A, in those days, it had got to about 3,000, yeah? Oh. Um, it's yeah. it it's eventually sort of topped out about five and a half thousand. Did um, it? Yeah, and it's now down at probably eighteen hundred. So that's you know, that's the kind of, um. So so we we did that for quite a while, um, and and I mean that involved endless bloody meetings. We used to go. Maggie and I used to go to Lechlade and yeah. stay stay in the new inn in Lechlade for a meeting on a Saturday and We used to meet with the bailiffs and all those kind of people. And and Tim, you know, and various other people. And then Sunday we would drive to Bromsgrove on near Birmingham.
0: Yeah, I know Bromsgrove. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and 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 have another meeting there and then come home and go back to work. That's relentless. It, it was soulless. It, it was and the worst bit was coming back on a bloody Sunday and having to iron my shirt so I could add five shirts for working. That's you know, that brutal, was, it, isn't it? It was it was horrible. Anyway, we did that, and eventually the the, the accounts balanced out. It got back on the right footing, out again, yeah. And then six and a bit years ago, um, out of the blue, I started getting phone calls from various people who I knew well, um, Richard Stangroup being one. um, Have you heard anything about the Carp Society? Mm. So I said no. I've heard the lake's up for sale. No, it can't be, you know. Um, anyway, I phoned Tim because if anyone. Knew, yeah, Tim was going to know. I phoned him. I said, Is there a problem with the car? So He said, Yeah, there is. And he started to talk me through what had happened, you know. Basically, what had happened, if for anybody who needs to know, and you can edit it out, if you know, the people who were running it, who'd. Had, revisited the rule book and changed it all and made it into a a business. Yeah. And they were now directors of the business, had decided – I mean, previously, if you wanted to fish horseshoe, farriers, anything to do with the Carp Society, you had to join the Carp Society and then apply for your fishing. That's right. So there was always members. So they had to have an AGM, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. What they decided to do was get rid of the membership. They did that by – putting the price up to 90 quid a year. Mm. And they said, you don't need to be a member to fish. whole sure. You can buy a passport. It costs you 15 quid or whatever. So suddenly they were the people calling all of the shots. Um, and Miles and Sabrina. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, knew something was wrong. Going, going yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and, and they alerted Tim. Um, <laughs> and so it all began. And what happened was, we held, we held an EGM, and the only people who were legitimately members at that point were life members. Yes, of course. Yeah, so that was it. There were about twenty people in the meeting. We held an, an EGM. We invited the other people, you know, the guys who were in charge now to come to that. They're not turning. They up. didn't turn up. Right. So we voted them out, and we voted f- four or five of us in. There was myself, Brian Sefton. um, Marshall yeah, um, Greg Fletcher. And uh, and then the fun began really because what happened was, mm. without going into too much detail, they had access. We f- froze the bank accounts. Yeah. But the, the then commercial manager was friends with the bank manager. Oh, God. He withdrew 20 grand, yeah, which on. gave them money to – you, know, you or, or th- they thought they could use to fight the case, and we didn't have any money at all. You had to raise money for, to get for the court, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, We did, yeah. I mean, and the, it, the figures were at the, by the end of it, our our legal costs were one hundred and fifty thousand oh, pounds. My lord, um, yeah. and ha- you know the, the the downside of it was, had we lost, we would have been accountable for that. Would you? Yeah. Uh, so what we did was, with the help of a wonderful guy called Mickey D Mm. who runs a charity called uh, Angler's Charity Auctions. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He started to try and raise money for us and he did. He raised a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think in the region of 40,000 pounds. Mm. Yeah. We then took on that mantle. We raised a lot. Mm. We took back bonuses from people who had previously accepted bonuses. Um, and by the end of it, and we took money off it, when they eventually said they were going to give in, we had to offer them a, a get-out clause. And the get-out clause was we would take £30,000 from them and they could go without court action because the court action was going to be added on to the £150,000. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah.
0: I thought, that, oh, my day! So, so they basically got away, absolutely got free.
1: Virtually, yeah. But we got, we ended up... Um, I think we were short of our target of 150 by about twenty thousand pounds, and we managed to. The society had twenty thousand. Yeah, 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 and were, were kind enough to pay that, and that got got us through it. And then the, the six years after that, <laughs> which I intended to be six months, I honestly thought I'll do this yeah, for six rescue months. job, get yeah. it back
0: on the even keel. Or...
1: There'll be a cure, of young guys waiting to do this, and and I can be out of here. Um, and then six years later, you know, I, I still. Remember doing it? I I came from Chris's funeral. I sat in the hotel room, and I pressed the button to say like, I ain't doing this no more. Um, because I just was—I mean, I was overwhelmed about what had happened with Chris. Yeah, I I kind of was thinking, you know, look, like six years I've been doing this now. <clears throat> I've hung on to it because I've made friends. Yeah, Miles and Sabrina. Particularly, yeah, but what lovely people, they are, wonderful people. And but at the end of the day, my own life was kind of beginning to suffer. I wasn't fishing as much because mm. I, I, I mean, one of the luxuries of being retired is you can get up Monday morning thinking you're going to go fishing, and if it's pouring with rain, you can say, oh, I'll leave it till Tuesday. Yeah. You know, get to Tuesday, the phone will ring at like nine o'clock because I've never been an early starter. Uh, hello, can I talk to you about this? Be sabre- no, not knocking Sabrina, but yeah, can I talk to you about something? Be on the phone for three quarters of an hour, fishing, fishing off till Wednesday, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, there was that. And then there's the other side of it is like, you know, it really does. I mean, I'm nearly 76 now. It really needs some younger blood. Um, so, and it, I think it's got that now. I think there'll be an announcement fairly soon about who the new chair is, so. Well, that's good, mate. That's good,
0: but yeah. what a stint you've done there, mate! Well, a couple of stints. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, through key yeah. times for that whole organisation and through the whole shaping of that side of things. Where do you where do you see that nowadays? With regards to, we talked about the BCSG being at the very prominence of everything back yeah. then you're talking about the Carp Society now and you have talked about the numbers peaking at 5,000 odd in terms of members and now being down at like 1,800 or I can't remember the number you referenced. Yeah. The overall significance of that, the overall sort of weight that that
1: has, what what do you think? Well, it, I mean, it, the organisation was originally established to be a kind of a, a political force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the BCSG wouldn't touch politics at all. Yeah. Um, now, if, if you say to people now, had it not been for the Carp Society and their involvement with um, uh, SACG, Specialist Anglers Something Group, um, you wouldn't be allowed to use more than two rods. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we managed to work with them and we got that through. Um, and it, obviously you can now use up to four rods on some waters. Now, I'm saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it,
0: it, the option's there, it, it that? worked
1: for carp anglers, yeah, yeah, yeah. not against them. Um, now, the, the the argument, I think, is that I, f- I fully support the Angling Trust, mm. but I can see their hands are absolutely tied on some issues. Um, I, I, I played a, a minimal part in... Um, Predation Action Group, yeah, the PAG, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I sometimes now wonder about that, but that, that's another another story, really. But I mean, my argument has always been: I mean, I think it was wrong to re-release. I've no problem with that. yeah, yeah it, yeah. it was it was wrong to release them into an, the environment that we have now, yeah. Um, I hate fishing inside a fence. Mm. On some waters it feels like a prison camp to me. I want to be in the open, and you know. I hate to see the state of the rivers now. You know, when I was a kid, I could take my shoes and socks off, walk into the river, road in at Abridge, kick the stones, and I'd have three million gudgeon, loads of minnows, dace, chub, broach just upstream. Now I could kick the thing; I probably might get a couple of rats for a minute. You know, it's sad. Um, so I think that it, that was what it was aimed for. Now it lost that with the with all the court case and everything and the the last five years have been about trying to rebuild, so you know the yeah. first first thing you have to do is um let's have another, let's let's do a magazine you know I remember the, the oh no they they're, they're they're finished well yes, they are that's why we need to start one you know mm-hmm. that we need to that, now cartfisher magazine um is a good magazine you know it has interest in reading the members like it, so that's one fault back we gave up doing Sandown. yeah but which was sad. Um, and now someone else has taken sand down. There's going to be a sand down show this year. Um, we do the, we had the horseshoe events. Yeah. People love them. You know, the, the fishings
0: I are mean, always mega. Mate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you get, you get people that you haven't seen for, you know, I mean, I've re-met people I haven't seen for 10 years and it's lovely, you know, it's, uh, um, but I, I think if, had the society continued to grow at the rate it was growing, Mm. It would actually could actually be a real force now in terms of like angling, because you don't have to restrict yourself to carp. you know I care as much about my, my yeah. mates who want to fish for barbel and chub, and goodness knows what else, and they're getting it messed up. You know if you've got a big organization, people have to listen. If you've got a little tiny group, you, you know you're a lost voice, really.
0: I think as you say that <clears throat> that sort of difficult period, shall we call it in the middle has been detrimental in terms of that. But hopefully, new blood, it rebuilds. Because it is, in essence, in its purest form and what it was made for, is a great voice for us to be able to levy our point rather than sort of not be swept into the copy. that's horrible to say, but to be sort of palmed off. There's sort of strength in numbers, isn't there? There is. And there is a chance there for that. So hopefully, as you say, like people new involved get involved and, and sort of back it to the point where... Yeah, you've got that strength and unity in numbers and and things can happen. But, mate, you've done an incredible job at navigating a very difficult time and being involved in those difficult times at the start and during all that. And, and, yeah, it is where it is and only still going, I think, because of the strength of you and the likes of you that have got involved. So, yeah, hats off again to you in all that sense. Fishing for you now? Talk to me about... You talked before about you haven't been for a month or so, but for you now, having seen sort of how carp fishing's developed, is there still carp as a, as a sort of, carp fishing as a prominence? Has it gone to different different disciplines? What's, what, where are you in terms of that whole spectrum?
1: Well, I certainly still love carp fishing. Yeah. But the, um, the current kind of situation as I see it um, means I've had to really kind of rethink what I do. I mean, I've always been of the view that um you yeah, know, cart fishing is about just using your eyes and your head and your feet basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, y you, you, you go to the water, you look, if you can't see anything, you, you you make a judgment about the weather. You know, when I was when I when the weather was last like this, where where did I fish? Where's the best place to go? And then it's about putting what you do into action to catch a fish. Yeah. Now with the growth of carp fishing on many waters that perhaps I might have been drawn to, um, it's not possible to do that. You know, I mean, and again, I'm not knocking, but it's just a big change. I mean, I, I, I used to, I remember when I've that lady lake place, when I first fished it, you had to park up at the church at the top of the hill and it was about a mile walk to get round the far side into the – well, nobody wanted to do it. But I did because I knew the fish well would be over there mm. and I got the chance to do that. Um. Now, you know, you. you I hear guys say, oh, it's great. Um. Uh, I, they pick me up in a buggy at the car park. They take me to the swim. You know, the swim's all clean and tidy and it's flat. I can get me bivvy up. and And I'm thinking, you know – for the sort of fishing I do, I don't even want a bivy. I don't, you know, I just want to go out, see if I can catch one. So what I do now is I, broadly speaking, I belong to little clubs around and about where I live and perhaps a few further on. Um, I re- I've i reset my thoughts. I mean, I very seldom weigh fish now, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not about the pounds and ounces. It's about being able to go and do what I used to do, which is find them, fish for them, try and catch one or two, put them back and go home. Yeah. And I I think that that's kind of a discipline that not all, but a lot of modern anglers have lost. You know, they're they're quite prepared to phone up three weeks beforehand, book a swim, Mm. you know, might not be a bloody fish in it, but they book the swim, you know, they're there for the weekend or five days or whatever. Um, It's not fishing to me. But I accept it's fishing for them, so I'm not, you know, down in it. It's just a different world, isn't it? Apart from that, I just like to, you know, winter time now. Whereas I, I used to fish for carp all the time. You know, I, mean, I love the winter because that was when the masses went, yeah, and I could go. You know, yeah. Um, now I tend to do a lot more pike fishing, even though the pike fishing's got hard, hard, yeah. yeah. Um, I do a bit of chub fishing, but I don't go anywhere of you know, where they're a big chub, I just go go on kind of little local places. Um, I'd do some roach fishing. um, And, you know, I take my grandchildren fishing from time to time, which, which is really great. They love it. Um, I've, I've, I've kind of fortunate, I suppose in that because I started as a kid, you know, I can tell when they've had enough. Yeah. yeah. You know, whereas when I went, and I'm not knocking it, because da- without my dad, I wouldn't have gone fishing, you know, um, initially. But when he went fishing, I was there till when he finished, you know. Um, and it kind of, it's again, that's something else that saddens me a bit about f- the future of fishing. You know, I know lots of people, and again, I'm not criticising them, but they say, I took my kid fishing. He had an 18-pounder, mm. you know. And I have just said to do you ever caught a fish on a float? No. Why he, you know, and you think, well, he ain't going to be fishing for very long. He's not going to kind of enjoy it in the way kids do. Um, and I was saying to you when we were walking down here, um, I had one of, my, uh, one of my youngsters, well, both two of them actually, they've both done this. We, I take them floater fishing um, and we do what um, Simon calls heron fishing, Simon Crow. Which is basically we sit still, which is a job for them at their age, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And we, we put floaters out and we wait for the fish to start moving on them, and then we throw them closer and closer and closer, and then we put a, put a bait on the hook, and they stand up and they lower it to a feed, you know, a feeding fish, and wallop off it goes. The center pin screams, Centipin. you know. I, I grab them around the waist so they don't go with it. And, uh, yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's really nice. You know, you see the smiles on their faces. It's brilliant.
0: Yeah, man, that sounds cool. Yeah. I love the fact that you still do You found your, if you like, your your bit of fishing, what fishing is, and, and you're still out there doing it, carp sense as well as other species. But it's good that there still is that option, even if it's a small club lake, at least it's, it's Oh isn't yeah,
1: it? I mean, I—I to be honest with you, I mean, we—we we go. I was saying to you earlier, we go to Norfolk, you know, quite yeah, quite frequently. Um, we stay in a, a converted barn. Um, the guy's got a—I a, don't know—three quarters of an acre pond, you know, in the field. Of course, I go and fish over there. Yeah, you know, I, I just—I—I I just like going fishing as opposed to it's got to be this fish or that fish or you know, I—I yeah. I, I mean, I think I was in that. Was in that vogue. I mean, if, I mean, I don't know how much time we've got, but yeah. the one bit we didn't cover was we didn't talk about Yately, and We <gasps> didn't talk about thirties because I still hadn't called. Yes, 30. you're thirty. You went. Yeah. Let's go Yately and yeah. thirty. And that's not to big big it up, no, but just to no, show definitely. you. Definitely. Um, I went to Yately I fished the Cops Lake. Did you? Yeah. Now the Cops at that point had a thirty pounder, and it. it was called the Parrot. Yes. yes. And I I went to catch that fish. Well, <laughs> I caught a lot of fish. And I eventually hooked the parrot and I got it to the net cord, and the hook pulled. Right. And I could never go back and try again for it. I was could so, you not? No, I was so upset really. So I went over the road and I fished on uh, the car park. Yes. This is in the days when it, it was still pretty quiet. I've got yeah. to say. Everyone, anyone who was fishing was on the Match Lake. Yeah. Um, went over to the car park, caught several fish in there up to 29. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Still no 30. So the following year, I think it was 1984 by now, 84, 85. I mentioned a guy called Alan Webb at Lady Lake. Yes. Yeah. He got me into a syndicate. It was a little syndicate, six people. Yeah. it's he's a little syndicate. Well, I see a tiny, um, on a, on a lake that had been owned previous or run previously by a club. The club had stocked it with carp, the carp that they stocked it with, had come partly from Southwield, right, when they lost the fishing on Southwield. So the club was Elm Park and District. Mm. They put the fishing in there. They they had the fishing for two years, and the members left so much rubbish, the guy chucked them off. And eventually, he tried to run it as a day ticket. He had problems with that. And then eventually it fell to this syndicate. Um, And I got in the syndicate. Alan got me in. Uh, I I, I don't know how, because the others... Clearly didn't want me to be there, but... Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, as luck would have it, in with Fred's bait, yeah. Um, rig and all, all of that was available at that point. Um, first year, um, you know what? People do funny things on little syndicates and they're entitled to do it. But I remember we, the, the season started on a Friday night. Yeah. It was midnight. Waited till midnight. Really weedy, yeah. Cast out. All my baits ended up in the weed, yeah. So I'm going to make the most of this. So Saturday comes, like up past eleven, three of the three of the other blokes who were fishing coming. We go up the pub now. So I said, "Well, I'm not sorry. I ain't got enough time to go to the pub. I want to fish, you know." So um, that didn't make me any more popular. No, I bet. I was going to say anyway. Sunday, back again, midday. We go and have our lunch in the pub. So I said, "Well, I'm going home in a minute. I'm going home in a couple of hours, so I'll try to go home." And they went, and I caught a thirty pounder, and I put it in the put it in the sack for them to come back. Got a photo like I I'd done. I I'd, I'd done what I achieved, what I wanted to achieve. The following year, of the first eight fish I caught, five were thirty pounders. How weird is right, that? Right place, right time. That's all I can say. You know, it's a. Uh, but how weird no, no, like anything, just, it is! No, no, it's just well, it's just unbel- you know. I mean, can you? Can, that, I mean, that was just was oh, so I can't explain. Alan had broken broken a couple of toes, yeah, um, and so he didn't fish. No one else was at the lake. Sixteenth of June, yeah. I turn up, cast out. First fish is a twenty eight and a half. Then I get thirty four something then I get 33-something, then I get another 20, then I get another 20. And I've – because I know the others won't come and take the pictures. I've had to <laughs> phone – Phone him. He hobbled across this bloody field. Bless him. He came and took the pictures for me. Get a wheelchair out. It doesn't matter. Just get Get, it. Get it, Yeah. Yeah. But that's mad. You
0: see that? So uh, there's so many comparison stories. But like you look at like that four minute mile, for example, in athletics. No one. Everyone thought it was impossible. Yeah. And then he did, mate boy. Um, did it. And then as soon as he's done it, there's like four others that have done it the year after. So I think. There's still got to be something in it mental or something you put out maybe where yeah. like it's that much of a burden, it's built up that much through Yately, through the other chapters, Save, etc. and then all of a sudden, done. Yeah, it's done. Pluggate's yeah. Yeah, open. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop catching them. Yeah. It's maddening. It? Incredible. Yeah. When you look back at it all, is there anything is there anything you'd do different? Would you do the same run again, everything the same?
1: I think I probably would. Would ya? Yeah. That's a yeah. wicked thing to say, mate, isn't it? I mean, you know, all I can say, I mean, I I say to lots of people, um, I think I'm one of life's lucky guys, yeah? I, I mean, you, you know, as I see it, I wanted to do certain things and I did them, yeah? Somebody made me in such a way that I was prepared to take chances, like me 28,000 euros for my lake in France, for example. You know, which I subsequently sold for quite a lot more. I was going to say yeah. you've had a good in that. Yeah, you know, um the, the fact that I can still, you know, I'm still well enough.
2: Yeah.
1: If I want to go, fi- if I wanted to go fishing now, I could go home and go, and go. Yeah. Um. And at my age, that's not true for a lot of people. You know, a lot. A lot I mean, I was recounting to someone the other day, and it's six years since I've been back with the Carp Society. Mm. Brian Mills. Mm. Um. Uh, Len Arbery. Yeah. Rod Hutchinson. Chris Ball. You know, and, it, and the list goes on. Um, Oh, Marsh Prattley. Yeah, Marsh, of course. You know, yeah. and you think, and I'm still here, you know.
0: I think there is, don't get me wrong, there is some element, but also I think within terms of what you've wanted to do and how you've done it, I think, I don't necessarily believe that's luck, mate. I think you've made that happen. I think you've been a bit, a bit modest in terms of, yeah, what you've done, because it does take there's thinking about doing it, there's people that go out there and get it done and you're very much RC in whatever you've done, whether that be through your teaching, whether that be through your angling, whether that be through your involvement in the BCSG and Carp Society. You've got it done, mate. And at very difficult times, mate, you've had a Boris Johnson role, mate. There, <laughs> <laughs> where it's granted. Please mate. don't like a bit no, well, <laughs> of sort of as nice as way as and I I, I, can. I get it. I get it. You know it. what I mean? I it, a difficult yeah. time. But thank you so much for coming in, mate, and thank you so much for sharing and, and and sort of all that experience. Because, yeah, mate, it's mega. Like there's so much in there. Before I let you go, yep, I've got some quick fire questions. All right, <laughs> okay. You're not prompted on these, but you'll be absolutely fine, mate. All right. Um, one venue, one carp, one era. They don't have to be connected. If you could pick one venue to go back to, one carp to catch, and one era, where are you picking?
1: It, that would have to be the Syndicate Lake that I mentioned. Mm, yeah. Nice. What carp? One carp you wish you caught. What would it be? Um, the, I mean, I again uh, probably the first forty pounder I ever caught. Mm. Where'd you catch your first forty from? Uh, a, uh, a lake in France, which was oh, All Hotels It was called All you, you There were ten swims on one bank. Yeah, yeah. You so you could either go in, independently, or you could go with a group of ten or or less. Yeah. I remember Paul Selman phoned me up and said, "Do you want to go to France?" Mate, mate of mine's booked, booked All tales. Um Will you? Will you come? So I said, "Yes, please." So he said, um, right, he said, I said, what, now this is this is where I bought and I've really need called out. I said, so how does it work? He said, well, we put everyone's name in the hat mm. and you draw a swim. So I said, well, I said, I'll, I'll come on, as you're going, I'll come. So he then had to phone me up and say, Derek, uh, you were last out of the draw. And you think yourself, I wasn't at the draw, I don't you know, but it's, that, that's life. And and I, the, the lake was te- like, shaped like a teardrop. Okay. And at the narrow end, there was an island and yeah. I had to swim just up from the island. Uh, really no water to fish to at all. That sounds awful. Uh, well, but <laughs> I caught loads. <laughs> Mate, take <laughs> I it. I know. And one of them was a 40. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like, I mean, I, sorry, without going on. I, I, I went to, when I talk about being lucky, this, I, this story might just illustrate it to you. When Rob Hughes First took over the running of um Abbey Lakes, yeah he did he did the booking yeah, yeah, yeah i I booked on yeah now at that point in time, I was working for the local authority, and I booked on for what was um the half term week in June. Mm and with two mates, they were going to come as well, got it all done book booked the train, you know did the lot um Two weeks before, I phoned Rob up just to confirm it all, and he said, no, mate, that's not the week you've got. You've got the week after. Oh, no. So I said, I can't. Rob, I can't. He said, well, it's, it's rammed. He said, if you go, I don't even know if you get a swim. So I, I had to go into work. I was working for the local authority at this point in time, begged to change my holiday, yeah, um, which, my like, fair dues, the, he the governor said, yeah, that's fine. Get my mates to change their holiday, oh. rebook the 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 train. Anyway, we went we went to Abbey Lakes, right? I fished six nights. No. I fished six days. Mm. And and with the rods out at night. Yeah. Now the fish weren't as big then. Uh I caught ninety eight fish. Oh my lord. Um forty two pound common and fifty twenty pounders. And I didn't have a single bite at night. Mate. I just woke up in the morning, 7 o'clock, and off it would go. <laughs> Put the kettle on, off it would go, and that was it. It was just absolutely… the season done. It? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or did just hang the rods up the rest <laughs> of the season? <laughs> well, mate? the funny thing was the last the last night, because everyone was saying, you've got to get 100, you've got to get 100. Mm. And I said, ah, what's the point? You know, what does it? what does it prove? Nothing really, you know. I mean, the only- right swim on the, at the right time, catching. But but I could have been there the week earlier. Yeah, and had a man. stuffed, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. 98, Geez,
0: What era would you fish? Sorry, mate, you've got your carp, you've got
1: your venue. What era? <sighs> I love the time around the Broxbourne Lagoons. Okay, what was oh, that? It's just it fucking magical, mate. Was it? Was it? Just, you imagine driving to, to to three big lakes like that, yeah, and there no, being no one there. Yeah, I mean, we'd hardly ever used to catch any because I was. It was hard. It was really hard. But you but, had. But you you knew you knew there was a chance. I mean, Sunday afternoon, what would you do? You get a bucket of water out of the pit and clean your car. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, because it, it was something to do basically. But oh no, I loved it, and I, I it was that all that that those times were just amazing. I remember once coming back to the car park. Um, which in those days the car, the main car park was by between what the North Lagoon and Central Lagoon. The one they call Owls Pit was the North, and there was there was somebody fishing, which was a. <laughs> An adult. What are you doing on my lake? Yeah, like, yeah. But I remember looking across at this bloke, and it was in the days of folded down waders. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, folded waders? Yeah, yeah. Tuck them back up again. He had two cane rods. He had buzzers. Like no, I think, oh, so like I'm salivating. You know? board, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, now God, look at it. <laughs> you can't see the bank. <laughs> um,
0: I like that. Right, three celebrities you'd take fishing could be past or present. Chris Ball. Yeah, lovely.
1: Len Arbery. Can I have four? Yeah, you can have four. Um, Brian Mills. Probably Tim. If I leave yeah, you now, you'd be money. upset. More <laughs>
0: social that'll be. Um, you can only choose one of these two. BCSG or Carp Society. Which one are you keeping? Carp Society. For mm, what it would be. Uh, drum and bass or country and western? That's a very Nash question. What's your favourite? Um, if you had to pick one, not your favourite. Drum and bass, I think. Drum and bass. Uh, UK 40 or French 80? What are you taking?
1: I I genuinely don't know the answer to that because it doesn't... No longer am I impressed by such figures, really. I mean... I'd probably go for the 80-pounder because I could hide my fat belly behind it and just get my head over the top, couldn't
0: I? What's your proudest
1: moment to date? Um... Fishing wise, do you mean?
0: Could be anything, mate. You could give me a fishing one and a non-fishing one if you wanted to. Um,
1: I think fishing wise, it would be when I finally caught. Although I'd say I'm not interested in size now. When I caught that first thirty pounder, it was like someone lifted a you know cloud from me. Um, I think like you know proudest moment, my family really.
0: Mm. You know. yeah, nice. Best piece of advice you've been given?
1: <laughs> well, th- there's Fred's advice about giving up smoking. Yes, good. That's... Yeah. Um, the other one I think is um, about vitamins and minerals in bait.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, it's, it's interesting because i I can remember once talking to Fred about. I mentioned that, like the, the railway pool. At yeah. was. Um, Bishop Stalkford sorry. Um, I fished it with Fred's bait. I was catching fish, but the fish were—they all had these little red blotches and things on them. And I remember I, s- I showed Fred some photos, and he said, uh, "He said do those fish get on the surface a lot?" I said, "They do." I said, "But they're not easy to catch." So he said, uh, mm. "He said put some vitamin C in your bait." So, so how much? So he said, just just a gram. And interestingly enough, I I used to bait on the bottom, and then when the fish came up, I'd fish on the, on the surface. And I'm talking about not uh, dog biscuits type fishing, you know, with a you mentioned it, floater coming up through, oh, yeah, 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 just below the surface. I caught loads of them, but over the period of time that I put That bait in there with, with, with the extra vitamin C and the vitamins and minerals, those fish, the look of those fish improved dramatically. It's one of the reasons I find it really hard these days when I still see people talking about peanuts and tiger nuts. And you know, it, yes, you can catch loads of carp on them. Do they do the carp any good? No, you know, yeah. What do you want from your fishing, really? Is it, you know, that's how I see that. But you
0: nice, know. no, mate. Um, any regrets? or biggest regret is the question here, but
1: um, not really. Love, it. I, Love I, it. I tell you, probably my biggest regret was the best job I ever had. You know, when you yearn to get a particular job, mm. got the job, hated it, chucked it in within 16 months, you know, <laughs> almost rendered myself unemployable by doing so. But yeah, but there you play, go, mate
0: yeah, yeah. final question a night out on the bank or a night in with the missus what are you choosing
1: nowadays a night in with my wife I love that mate and a bottle of
0: wine a few bottles of wine yeah a few bottles good, well, good plonk That's true. As well. that's true yeah. <laughs> yeah mate I love it Derek thank you so much for thank you guys for watching and listening I'll be back soon with another podcast until then the absolute legend that is Derek Stritton thank you so much for coming in thank mate thank you very much